0: it's friday december 2nd 2022 and this is the people's podcast this is steak for breakfast
1: Smokey, this is not nom this is bowling there are rules
2: today junior america steak for breakfast so stand by
0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs, rubs barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again it can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use code stake15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, USA. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear, hot-melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use code stake for 5% off. Don't get ready, stay ready.
3: The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the My Pillow family. Get ready to crank out the holiday savings. Give the gifts of comfort, rest, and relaxation with My Pillows, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. More of a morning person, they've launched the My Coffee. It's available in the My Store. In a promo code, STAKE there, you're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you do a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE. For anything sleep-related, for, for the coffee, mystore.com forward slash staker. you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, excited for the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie? If oh, those ear needs taken care of and done upright, odyssey.com is website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, hand-rolled from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Age three years, you enter promo code STAKE HERE, you are gonna get 15% off your total order, all orders over $100 gets free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL, If you're into the tradesies, and don't live in Canada. He's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook, Messenger, and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair, home. The Zero Fucks Duck. I just changed it up to Santa Duck today here in the studio. Damn! Dumpbox.us is the website. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at Steak4BreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll it. take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, Friday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 192. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. That's what that's going to be joining us in just a bit. Guys, we got a packed show today, four big guests, three big news segments, everything in between. Let's jump right into it. Okay, what's going on up there with
4: these spending bills in Washington DC
0: are we gonna see a government shutdown
4: well I don't think we'll see a government shutdown at least not a pro- prolonged one but I'll tell you John it's really quite amazing Senate Republican leadership Mitch McConnell is pushing to pass what's called an omnibus bill which would fund the entirety of the federal government through September 30th of last year what he's trying to fu- pass is Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi's appropriations bills. Yeah. Why on earth would a lame duck Congress pass Nancy Pelosi's appropriation bills when in just a few weeks we're gonna have a Republican House of Representatives? I believe it should be the Republican House of Representatives that makes spending decisions Right now, Senate leadership is trying to give away that leverage. I I, I do a podcast three times a week called Verdict with Ted Cruz. The podcast today discusses in depth how Republican leadership in the Senate is trying to to emasculate the incoming Republican majority in the House by taking away their ability to pass any spending legislation for nearly the entirety of next year. I think it makes no sense whatsoever.
3: Mm. Welcome to the show, everyone. Happy Friday. Uh, Remember, if you're uh, following us on social media, uh, subscribe to the show on Spotify and Apple. uh, And, of course, share our content. Um, We're going to be kicking off today's show with a little bit of a cold open. We have one of our favorite guests and joining us on the show today. She's one of our great friends. She's an attorney who works with the Donald Trump re-election campaign now, apparently. Uh, But she is, regardless, one of the hardest working women we've ever known. Miss Christina Bob, thanks for coming back with us today.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I always love being on your show.
3: Well, oh, you, it seems like you've evolved into your next form from Save America to the Trump re-election campaign. We like it. Yeah, and
5: uh... yeah, it's great. I just—it's kind of funny. I just keep going you know
3: good good thing since the big announcement there's been no issues no drama or anything like that involving the trump re-election there hasn't been any special counsels appointed there hasn't been any weird dinners or anything like that everything's been completely fine so your job must be easy right now
5: super easy (laughs) clearly the left has no concerns about donald trump and they're not worried that he's going to steamroll all of them Um, Because he's very clearly the favored, not just the nominee, but the favored president like America wants Donald Trump back. I think that's really clear. And they're terrified of him coming back because they've been exposed for all of their corruption and their their dirty deeds. And he's going to correct all of it. So uh, they're terrified of him. Yeah.
3: Speaking about dirty deeds. You know, one of the things you probably were at least aware of as, as one of the higher ranking officials in the Department of Homeland Security when you served in the Trump administration was the fear due to appropriations and, and annual budgetary needs, the, the, you know, fear of always being a government shutdown. Uh, yeah. There's an extremely rigorous process to get those budgets approved. If the budgets don't get approved, you know, departments don't get funded and the government shuts down, which means everybody still pretty much has to go to work, but they just don't get paid for it. So yeah. all of our frontline workers who have been destroyed uh, over the last two years under the Biden administration, um, you know, would have to do it for free if uh, we can't. You know, I, I know the Senate Republicans are really looking to tie that anti-vaccine legislation in for the military and for places like the Department of Homeland Security just to make sure that they can never revisit it again. And they have threatened to put it into uh, appropriations to to not fund the government if if the Biden administration won't lift these you know, potential mandates that could come back, even though they've been kind of pseudo-lifted right now.
5: Yeah. No, it, it's really corrupt. It, this is corrupt politicians uh, holding the American government and the American people hostage. I certainly lived through the shutdowns when I was in the Trump administration. And it's, it's just dirty. I think the American people are sick of it. I think they're tired of the gamesmanship and all of this drama for... No benefit. We're not getting anything out of it. We don't have a secure border. We don't have, uh, or we do have a bunch of fentanyl and deadly drugs pouring across our border. Our our government is not getting better, and these politicians seem pretty intent on serving the lobbyists and serving their donors as opposed to serving the American people. And. It's at the point now, it's such a, a pain point, such a pinch point that we can see clearly what they're doing. We can see their motives. Everything is being laid bare, and those those dirty politicians are going to get replaced.
3: Well, it's uh, pretty much the the black and white of it. I mean, there are a lot of people out there. I see one of the new narratives that the mainstream media, especially on the radical progressive side, is instead of, you know, Republicans honestly – Doing what they need to do to fix the way elections are ran, to fix the methods that we use to vote in elections, to get back to the grassroots and remaster social media across all fronts, and not just kind of stay on some. Possibly change some leadership uh, in places like Speaker of the House and maybe even the GOP chair. The Democrats are trying to push this narrative like people just underestimate Joe Biden. Uh, They they, (laughs) they they underestimate the drawing power and the unity factors of Joe Biden. And I'm just like like I watched him. Wander around the White House lawn like a complete (laughs) moron yesterday. No one wanted to talk to him. They might as well have said his youth and vigor.
5: Oh my god. His youth and vigor. It's such BS. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. They they hope that America and quite honestly, I don't blame them for this approach. What they're doing is they're saying what they want the American people to believe, even Mm -hmm. though they know it's not true and even though it's obviously not true, but that's what they want Americans to believe. And so they hope that you don't notice that Joe Biden is a bumbling idiot who likely poops his pants and has very serious health concerns, <laughs> but but it's not true. The problem that they have is it's so apparent yep. today yep. And the, where I say, I, I, you know, I can't really blame them for trying right now. Is they've been doing it for decades, and we haven't been paying attention. But they got our attention with how bad our government has gotten in the vulnerable state that they've put this country in. We're paying attention. And so we can see Joe Biden for who he is, for what he is, and... Uh, I don't think their lies are working. That
3: is a hefty receipt you just yeah. dropped on the show, too. I mean, I know there were mm-hmm. some leaked Secret Service communications earlier last year in regards to his bowel movements and uh, lack of control over him. But <laughs> likely poops his pants. I like that one. Mm-hmm. One of the One of the probably not really corrupt politicians in the mix of all this was asked... Not about running for president, because we think he's a great governor, but some of the things that wound up being successful in the midterm elections and, and moving forward, how we're going to continue to do that. It was Ron DeSantis at a presser yesterday. Let's hear some audio from the governor of Florida. Governor, thank you so much. It's good
6: to see you again. I'm not going to ask you to run for president.
7: You've probably heard that one a couple times
6: already. You certainly have your pulse on national politics, and given the
7: rumors that are swirling, I'm curious, what is your take on
8: Mr. Trump being back in the news every day and what is your take? You you enjoy a, a, a healthy Republican Party in Florida, but nationally the Republican Party is divided. So can you elaborate for us on, on those two specific items, national Republican politics and your take on Mr. Trump in the news every day? Well, look,
9: I, we we understand, but but I also got 22 million others, and we got to look out for everybody, and so we're focusing on on getting things done, doing our job, and that's what we're going to continue to do. I think the election it was interesting. You know, we, we knew we were going to do well because we worked hard. You know, we delivered a good message. We had a lot of enthusiasm, um, and we saw it not just in places like Miami Dade, which you know was historic, but. Place like Palm Beach, which is even more historic. I mean, it's been almost 40 years since a Republican governor candidate has been able to carry that county. And so you see that, um, and of course, we had a lot of great people running in the legislature and the Senate, um, and those have been big, big majorities. And so we knew it, we saw it on, even just the early vote came in, we were winning Dade uh, going away. Uh, And so they call the race, we see good stuff, gets into nine o'clock, you know, I I give the speech and I go back afterwards. And um, and some of my folks were like, Governor, this is not a red wave. I was like, what are you talking about? This is not a red wave. This is a 20-point. When have we ever seen that? No, no, no. Florida is a big win. But the rest of the country, we are not seeing uh, really good performance uh, fr- from a lot of these, these Republicans. They, they're like, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to win the Senate. The House is going to be very close. You know, we assumed we were going to end up with like 245 House members. We're at 222. It looks like which is a huge underperformance. And so, you know, the question is, is, you know, why did that happen? Because the way these midterms work, someone gets elected to the White House and then there's a reaction the other way. That's what happens almost every every two years. And especially when people are pessimistic about the direction of the country, have a negative view on Biden. Uh, usually those voters are going to want to vote for people that are offering an alternative, and yet some of those voters throughout the country, not in Florida but throughout the country, even though they disapproved of Biden, even though they disapproved of the direction of the country, they still didn't want to vote um, you know, for some of our candidates. So I don't think it's a question necessarily being divided as a party. I think it's like, okay, how do you run and win majorities? And I think what we've done in Florida is we've shown that, that we've exercised leadership. Uh, we've not kowtowed. Uh, we've been willing to take on big interests when, I mean, look, just look at the environment, what we did coming in. Um, look at what we've done with some of these other things, but producing results and then that ends up attracting more people to want to be be on your team, and so that was not something that was happening, you know, throughout the rest of the country. But I think that we really showed, I think, how it's done in the state of Florida. And if you look about, uh, you know, how we how we performed, uh, you know, we no governor Republican has ever gotten a higher percentage of the vote in Florida history than we got in 2022. So.
3: So there's a lot of word salad there, Christina. I mean, you've been around politics for a long time. First of all, I think one of the best things Ron DeSantis has done since the midterm elections is not take the bait. There was like two or three questions before that where they were directly asking him, like, why are you buying up digital super PACs and, and why are you name writing stuff in regards to a presidential run? A lot of people in our listenership doesn't understand this and they they kind of get really either excited or or nervous when they see stuff like that. But a lot of it is because... If Ron DeSantis's team doesn't buy up these names and likenesses that tie him to the presidency or running for it in 2024, other people will. And then they'll set up like these kind of like scam third party packs like, "Oh, help Ron DeSantis in his quest to run for president, like donate here." But the number the money will never go back to the DeSantis campaign necessarily and that's all kind of part of normal politics. In regards to like the midterm election stuff he talked about, do, do you think he was right or did he even really touch on the issues or just want to kind of stick in Florida?
5: No, I don't think he touched on the issues at all. And uh, I don't think he does touch on, this is the thing with Ron DeSantis. And I voted for Ron DeSantis. Uh, I, I'm proud to be a DeSantis voter for governor. Um, the swamp, The swampy Republicans and the swampy Republican establishment know that rhinos cannot beat Donald Trump. Any rhino, any swamp... Candidate cannot take on MAGA and win. Ron DeSantis, he came about because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump endorsed him and kind of gave him his first platform to run. And the establishment has wooed Ron DeSantis through money and promises of power because Ron DeSantis can't stand on his own. He doesn't have the money that Donald Trump has. Um, and they are trying to sway DeSantis into becoming the swamp. He has to become a swamp creature in order to take on Donald Trump. And so that is very, very concerning to me. And then when I hear statements like this that say, um, that that ignore the fact that there's rampant fraud across the nation, he doesn't address it. He doesn't address the lack of security in our elections. That's very concerning to me. Uh, Continuing that with um, the fact that Ron DeSantis actually made Florida very vulnerable to election corruption. He made Florida an all-mail-in ballot state. This was the first election where everybody got their mail-in ballots. That's very dangerous. Now, am I saying that there was fraud in, in Florida? I don't know. I, I, I honestly wasn't really paying attention to Florida, so I don't know what happened in Florida. Probably not. Um but he also uh, got Air, um Florida into Eric, the election registration information center or whatever it is that is, is very questionable about their ethics with running voter rolls. And so, oh, oh, we say, okay, well maybe this was a clean election. I do think, I do think it's funny that he says, I got the most votes in the history of Florida. It's like, yeah, after you made it a mail-in ballot state, right? mm. but you know, not trying to say that there was, that that's not a legitimate win. I, I think he probably did, but Um, okay. So the Florida has a clean election now, but what about in 10 years? They're going to have the same problems as Arizona. So, um, I, I, I think Ron DeSantis has been compromised just from looking at his actions. I think he's, he's been compromised by the swamp, by promises of money and power.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty evident to see there's definitely been a change. Um, yeah,
5: he's no longer the MAGA Ron DeSantis that became so popular by acting like Donald Trump. He became popular. I remember when everybody used to like color him orange and like give him Trump hair yeah. and like make the memes of like, oh, he's being Trump. He is not being Trump anymore. Why is that? Oh, because he's establishment. I mean, he's if, become the establishment.
3: Even if you don't want to make the memes, you could always go back to Ron DeSantis' election commercial in the first election where, you know, his kids are wearing MAGA hats and his mom's reading. Yeah,
10: it. What, he's Ron DeSantis, not
3: his wife's reading a Donald Trump bedtime story to his kids, and it's just like, okay. It's just such a it's, it's a hard pivot. It's, it's kind of hard sometimes in politics to see the way these politicians work. But, you know, there's been so many, obviously, people like Ken Griffin and the Murdochs. Paul Ryan's running around behind the scenes. So is Karl Rove. And, and you know, he's got a pretty young team down there in Florida, and the influence from people who have just billions of dollars and so much reach and so much influence, they could probably give them like the hypothetical golden path to something that he's not going to be able to get in the ring with Donald Trump.
5: No, there's no way. He doesn't stand a chance. Ron DeSantis could never beat Donald Trump. He doesn't have what Donald Trump has. And I think it's career suicide for him to try to run against Donald Trump. If it doesn't kill him for the next, if it doesn't completely destroy his career, it will kill him for the next 10 years. Um, I, I think it's foolish and insanely arrogant to think he can take on Donald Trump. Now you've got, I'm sure you've got the Karl Rove's and the, uh, Paul Ryan's and all them whispering in his ear saying, sure. Oh, you can do it. Look at how much people love you. No, I, I get it. He's popular in Florida and, and the country loves him, but he has not gone toe to toe with Donald Trump and he's going to get annihilated.
0: It's disappointing. It's just like watching one of your like favorite sports icons like start doing yeah. that nonsense, like kneeling, yeah, right, like they kneeling beating during, their wives. yeah, beating their wives, or kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah, just like, come right. on, man.
5: I know he's so good, and quite honestly, I think I think he would be a great president in time, but he's trying to jump the gun. He's trying to promote himself and he's allowing uh, this So let's let's put it this way. So let's say Ron DeSantis were to get elected. Let's say Donald Trump decides not to run because that's the only way DeSantis could potentially get elected. I like it. So Ron DeSantis gets elected. Do you think he's going to uh, restructure or do anything about the corruption within the FBI, the Department of Defense? Do you think he's gonna do anything within the Department of Homeland Security? He is not going to do what Donald Trump will actually do. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is because he's become swampy and his handlers won't let him. The only reason Donald Trump will be able to truly clean out the corruption is because he has no handlers and there are no strings to tie strings attached. Ron DeSantis can't say that. And he will not do the job that Donald Trump will do in the White House.
3: Oh, you make total sense there. I mean, listen, if you want to talk about border security, Ron DeSantis voted against the border wall when he was a House representative from Florida, and that's Eesh. a receipt that uh, I'm Eesh. just waiting for the general or the primary season to see if anybody wants to start bringing receipts because every time someone gives a good stat, uh, Christina gave us two good ones today, Eric, all mail-in, and, uh, you know, the digital voter roll stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely Ron DeSantis
5: it- is going to get crushed. He's going to get absolutely annihilated to the point where he his career may not recover. Yeah, yeah. But- Keep that soundbite, tag that time, and when, when it's over, can we play it back? Because I just want credit for saying that. Yeah,
3: Noel <laughs> will flag it, and he'll turn it into an audio quip. We'll put it up this week. I'll save it. Yeah. excellent, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, House Representative from Arizona, Andy Biggs, I saw him on uh, Wake Up America yesterday. Well, speaking of leadership, there, there's still some big confusion. We're going to try and unpack it a little bit uh, within the Republican Party right now in regards to Speaker of the House. Uh, yeah. We know – there there was a vote that happened a couple weeks ago, like their straw poll, which showed there was like 30-some-odd people who didn't have it. The numbers weren't as bad as Paul Ryan's and a little bit better than Jim Boehner's uh, in, in the first vote before January, and they both became speakers of the House.
10: We don't mm-hmm. know.
3: It's re- it's so hard. I mean, so many people are like flipping script. You got like the Gates delegation, and the House Freedom Caucus guys all going crazy. Uh, all right. I really thought Jim Banks was going to be more involved with House leadership. Now he's all but rolled out the possibility of now that he's won re-election to run for senator in Indiana uh, in 2024, which would be amazing. He's he's so good. And I really think they haven't used him in a leadership context in the House of representatives the way they should have. You have people saying Steve Scalise could possibly get in there instead of Kevin McCarthy. As far as I know, you, know, you look at voting record and stuff like that, they're one and the same. Uh, they're both extremely slumpy. They have ties to the K Street Mafia. You know, they cater to both sides, and they do a lot of backdoor dealings. I don't see anything pr- productive there. But by the time we get done with this segment, uh, we might have a little bit more clarity, even though it leaves room for a couple more questions. Let's hear Representative Biggs first talking about uh, McCarthy math.
11: I don't think Mr. McCarthy has the votes because far more than five uh, people have told me that they're not going to vote for Mr. McCarthy. McCarthy doesn't have the votes. He's not going to get the votes. So the question is not, um, is, is, are the people who are voting against McCarthy going to cause him to go to the Democrats? The question is, is he willing to form a, a coalition with the Democrats rather than to step aside and give us somebody who will fight? Because what you just said is exactly the problem. You can, you. can Mr. McCarthy, with all due respect, has been there for six years, and he has not changed the status quo. He has continued on where, where, we, where we sit there, and we were saying, well, what, where are we going? Who's gonna fight? Did you fight for the last two years, or even the last four years, against the Biden administration? I mean, he's the one who just said that that's, that's what we're gonna to have to do, we're gonna to have to fight. Well, what did you do to fight against the Biden administration? That becomes the question. That is the issue. And so uh, I think that there's more people there and maybe um, people in our conference need to quit denying uh, the fact that he's not going to get there. And let's get together and let's get a consensus candidate before January 3rd.
3: Now, Christina, Kendall McCarthy's probably been one of the biggest political opportunists in the Republican Party over the course of the last <laughs> six years that he's been a House representative. In my opinion, he's always walked the line fine enough to just not get on Donald Trump's total bad side to receive, like, the public verbal tweet and truth ass kickings that he gives out to people when he's absolutely had it to him. We've seen Mitch McConnell. We saw the Republicans in the 2015 presidential primary all have to go through that. And uh, Kevin McCarthy's always been that guy. He'll run on some MAGA stuff when it comes to, like, border security, looking real hard at, at, you know, going after uh, Alejandro Mayorkas for impeachment. But then in the same week, deliver a statement that the Kanye West dinner at Mar-a-Lago should have never happened and Donald Trump should condemn it. And then he would go even further as to attend the state dinner last night with Emmanuel Macron, which he probably should have attended. But when you look at the people that's there, it's like Hunter Biden, all of these Hollywood Mm -hmm. elites, a real Republican, conservative, nationalist populist, speaker of the house candidate would just say you want to know what i understand that we don't have a lot of state dinners because joe biden's absolutely retarded and can't really do these things all the time but the fact of the matter is i don't think it's good for optics if i go and i'm gonna not take my mom and i'm gonna stay home so you know what do you feel about where this is going right now
5: i I think it's right I, i think you're right i think it's um the swampy Republican establishment is trying to hang on. And that is Kevin McCarthy. I think we've had enough newcomers and enough of a push to kind of highlight the problems that members of Congress are they are on the hot seat because, you know, they're the ones that vote for the speaker and the speaker can, you know, get mad at that. If the speaker actually wins and they didn't vote for that person, obviously there can be repercussions for them. However, I would encourage the members of Congress to remember that they are there representing their constituents. So it's not a personal thing. Who do your constituents want you to vote for? And I would be willing to bet the vast majority do not want Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker. He he probably will be because I think we've got a bunch of cowards who are willing to vote for him just because they don't want to be outcast on committees or whatever. But. Um, I think Kevin McCarthy is the swamp. I think to your point, he, uh, compromises where his handlers will allow him to compromise so that he can, you know, appease enough people so that they think he's okay, but he's not okay. He's the problem and he needs to go.
3: No, he certainly does. And I don't, I know he's not going to go down without fighting. Uh, no. I, 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 I he's don't got a
5: lot of money. That's yeah. what makes people scary. His fun, his ability to fundraise is insane. And that, that's what is fueling all this, is money.
3: Yeah, I, I don't feel into the narrative that we're going to get a Democrat Speaker of the House if if Kevin McCarthy's <laughs> not elected. I think that's like the same stuff they tell us in elections. If you don't vote for this person, what we're getting is like literally the end of democracy. It's kind of like the same vibes as that. Yeah. I mean, when Matt Gates was on, uh, I believe he did his own podcast last week. And, and even though they had, I think, 31 votes in the straw poll a few weeks ago, when it got down to it, the, the person that was interviewing really took him to task and they're like how many votes how many votes Matt Matt game day how many votes and he's like I know for sure we have four people who aren't going to vote for McCarthy now you're talking about McCarthy has to whip two people now and he's speaker of the house so like you said the money the influence the like come on do you want to just embarrass everything that we did we we, were only have control of the house for the fourth time in 60 years um you know let's let's not throw the opportunity away but we're gonna have to see where that goes one of the x factors that Probably will play into this a little bit. I saw yesterday on Real America's Voice, Representative Ralph Norman was on and he was talking about, well, the possibilities of alternatives without really saying the quiet part out loud. Let's hear him.
11: He pushing Kevin
2: McCarthy, they being collectively the majority Republicans. You're not on that bandwagon. You're saying no. And you're about five strong right now, which is enough to sink his uh, candidacy, isn't it?
10: Well, it is. And Steve, for your viewers, the, the speaker, I would make the argument, is the most powerful office uh, in the country. The speaker says what we vote on. They says the, set the amendments. Uh, it's a powerful position. And, you know, we have this opportunity to elect someone. Uh, and the magic date is not now. The magic date is January 3rd of 2023. That's when we officially vote. And it would be derelict of anybody not to uh, to have the debate who ought to be the next speaker. Uh, I will tell your viewers also that an outside member, you do not have to be a sitting member of Congress to serve. That's right. It will be it will be apparent in the coming weeks uh, who that person uh, will be. And it'll it will I will tell you, it'll it will be interesting if everything plays out.
3: I don't know if you know anything about this offhand, Christina. Or are you <laughs> hearing it for the first time? we We know it's not Donald Trump. obviously, he announced his candidacy to run for president again. Yeah. But But who could they possibly be talking about, just speculation wise off your head, off the top of your head?
5: I have no, I genuinely have no idea. I heard that there was a memo floating around somewhere that had possibilities. I heard Donald Trump was on it. Um, you know, he's running for president, so it's not going to be Donald Trump, but I don't, I don't remember the other names on it. I don't know who they were. I don't know. Maybe Elon Musk comes to mind or (laughs) who knows? I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I have no inside information and I really hope that quote doesn't go away sideways, but like, I, I don't know.
3: You think it could be somebody like former speaker Gingrich?
5: Um maybe yeah, it could be. That's probably more plausible than Elon Musk. But um I You know what? Everything is so bananas and backwards. I don't know what they're doing. And if they have to do something kind of crazy like that, like make it someone who's not actually a member of the house, I really hope they just do it because it's what's best for the country. Yeah. Like, I'm so sick of the politicking. I'm so sick of the gamesmanship. I just want our leaders to do what is best for our country. And if they do, a, if they do something like that, I want to believe that it's because it's it's the right thing.
3: Yeah, like to they, do. if they were going to bring somebody off the street, it would have someone that would have to make the establishment Republicans, the moderates, and MAGA all feel like. Hmm. Okay, okay, this isn't terrible, right? And, and yeah,
5: and, I don't even know how you do it. No, <laughs> because, because inevitably the is going to be mad because it's not somebody they funded. The right. establishment wants their their money in that seat, and so I don't know how you get around that with someone who's not in the house.
3: Are you hoping that someone that's tweeted at the? uh with the caliber of tweets, the very loaded messaging that he's put out over the last couple of weeks, uh, former gubernatorial candidate from New York Lee Zeldin gets into the GOP chair race.
5: Um, you're probably not gonna like my answer in this. I don't. I'm not sold on that. Go ahead. Honestly, um, I I am under the impression he's a bit swampy, so I'm not. I, I don't like that idea. I would actually. I know I'm not gonna be popular in this. I would actually prefer to keep what we have. I, mean,
12: I can see where you're coming from though with that. Cause I kind of got that vibe too. And
5: yeah, I know, I I'm, I don't love the current RNC leadership um, situation, but it's not as terrible as people make it out to be. And I can tell you that I work directly with the leadership at RNC. And um, I would rather keep what we have than, than go with yeah. who else is available? Sorry. Well,
3: well, we all know there's a there's an already established national apparatus <laughs> set up Ding. So why would we want to change that in, in its entirety especially with all the chaos that's going on with the speakership right. and the, with the House Republicans and obviously we all know China Mitch. And his wife Coco Chow aren't going anywhere.
5: <laughs> oh my gosh, did you see the poll that came out on him recently? He had a twenty-eight percent approval rating. Like only twenty-eight percent of Americans actually think Mitch McConnell is doing a good job. I'm pretty sure that's lower than Joe Biden. Like it it give, takes give, effort to get him an time. approval rating
3: low. He'll catch up. Give him time. I mean, he literally yeah. he legitimately every other election X factor out there. Early voting, mail in ballots, election fraud, you you erase all that from the equation. Mitch McConnell legitimately cost us two Senate seats already. And his lack yes. of anything involved in the Georgia runoff right now is probably going to cost us, although we hope uh, it doesn't, a third. And there's a mess going on down in Georgia. In our last yeah. audio clip with Christina and part of our cold open today, let's hear Representative Donalds from Florida, who jumped on the Botox Queen show, Laura Ingrams, last night to talk about this.
13: Breaking news tonight that Georgia lieutenant governor was back on CNN again tonight with another masterful performance.
7: Walker Walker's going to go down as probably the worst Republican candidate in the history of uh, politics, right? It's just no, no way to, to run away from that. And I think the energy level behind his support, it's, you know, the best case being made right now is, well, he's going to be a Republican vote for us. And certainly that means a lot to me. I care about Republicanism. I I care about conservatism. I'm passionate about it.
13: Congressman... This is a top Republican official in the state of Georgia throwing our candidate under the bus. Unbelievable.
14: Laura I'm normally professional on your show but I'm gonna discard that listen I'm a tea party activist that's how I got into politics we were lectured time and time again that you got to support the team get behind whoever the nominee is so we could go in so for the goal for this guy to show up and say oh I couldn't vote is' absolutely ridiculous you want to go do that Jeff Duncan stop being lieutenant governor go be a normal citizen it is atrocious when you have when you have a Republican on the ballot you show up and you get the job done if you're going to be in elective office. But to do this mess? No, I'm sorry. This guy's got to go. I'm sick of him.
13: No, he's a complete nightmare. The Democrats never pull that kind of stunt on their candidates. Never. Congressman, great to see you. And up next.
3: I don't know if you had heard that or not, Christine, but that was last night. And that was in yeah. response to uh, he's been on CNN and MSNBC a total of three times in the last week, just absolutely trashing Herschel Walker and his campaign. That's the lieutenant governor of the state who works in the, you know, the cabinet. Yeah, for, Brian for Brian.
5: right hand man. Yep. I mean, Brian Kemp, uh, Brad Raffensperger and Carr, the attorney general. Yep. I mean, it's Georgia is a very, very corrupt state. Georgia is the Republican version of California. I, yep. I mean, I think the elections are rigged for the most part in favor of Republicans, in favor of swampy, corrupt Republicans, which Herschel is not. So I don't expect him to win that seat simply because I think they will rig it against him. I hope I'm wrong. I do think the people of Georgia want him in there. And in a free and fair election, I think Herschel takes it mm-hmm. hands down. But I, I'm very concerned that Georgia's elections are rigged.
3: Yeah, I mean, you have so many people working behind the scenes and, and so few people have shown face. Now we're just a few days away. We can go to the ballot box on... And- in just four days uh, from today. And, you know, to see very few Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, Mike Collins, who just won a house seat uh, down there, Trump endorsed America first candidate as well. I know Marjorie Taylor Greene's going to be down there over the weekend and a few others. Brian Kemp has reluctantly done some events with, with Herschel Walker and and stuff like that. I know president Trump has done some teller rallies for him as well, but it just seems like, you know, as far as like getting on board and get, I mean, Nobody likes to hear Barack Obama talk. He doesn't draw crowds like people like Donald Trump do, and, and his message is usually has nothing to do with the candidate. All he did was, you know, yesterday he made fun of MAGA Republicans, and he talked shit about Joe Biden. But he'll get out there and, and, and whip it up a little bit. People will see it on local television, and then they'll be more motivated to vote.
0: Did he break out any new accents?
3: Hmm. Well, he has a southern one when he goes to Georgia, but, but we got a good clip of him crapping on Joe Biden yesterday too, so...
5: Is, hang on, I got to just throw this out there. Isn't it funny that in Georgia, Republicans win all of the state offices, but yet Democrats win the federal offices? Yeah. Why it, is that?
3: Very interesting. Weird.
5: Weird. It's almost like it's coordinated.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hand washes the other. We know that in establishment politics. And listen, the Uniparty is a lot bigger than anybody thinks. We've seen some wild shit over the course of the last couple of months that uh, has definitely made me rethinking how I look at it moving forward. Moving forward, Christina, I know we're, we're kind of crunched for time here, but it's only the second of December. Is there any chance we might get you back before Christmas?
5: Yeah, I would love it.
3: Perfect I'll for you
5: guys. You- anything.
3: I-, I like that even more. Where are we going to find you on social media?
5: Uh, you can find me Twitter and Instagram. It's Christina underscore Bob or uh, Christina
3: Bob on truth. Excellent. We'll live link those in the show description today, of course. And and we'll be looking forward to have you back as uh, Noah's getting ready to put up the tree by the, by, by the next time you show up on the show. This is one of our favorite attorneys, very hardworking woman. She's on the Trump reelection campaign. Now, Miss Christina Bob, thanks for coming back on the show.
5: Thank you so much.
3: All right. Joining us next on the show today, he's an attorney who chaired the Trump 2016 presidential campaign. His newest book, political prisoner persecuted, prosecuted, but not silence. It's tearing up the charts. It's actually a, uh, Really interesting read, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation with none other than Mr. Paul Manafort. Thanks for joining us on the show today.
6: It's great to be with you guys. Thank you for having
3: me. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you, sir? the The book is amazing. I, I've gotten through about three quarters of it. There's a lot of eye opening stuff. You know, we talked to a lot of Trump adjacent still on this show. A lot of the former administration officials and whatnot who, you know, pretty much have corroborated this entire spiderweb that continues to roll on uh, with the appointment of the special counsel. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about the premise of the new book. I know why you had to write it, but I want your listenership to really understand like how important this book was to get out there from your standpoint.
6: Well, there are two reasons I wrote it. Uh, the first was because during the whole time I was in the crosshairs of uh, uh, the special prosecutor, uh, I was gagged. At first they put a gag order on me so that I couldn't speak even though they were leaking information about me into the public domain, most of it all false. Uh, and then they put me in solitary confinement uh, for 11 months, where I was in a room that was about 9 by 12, no windows, uh, no access to the outside. Uh, and I was not allowed to talk to anybody but my lawyers who were three and a half hours away from the jail they put me in. Uh, so my side never got out. And the tsunami of, of coverage that it got was all fil- all unfiltered, put, out, put into the system by the special prosecutor and the Democrats. Uh, so that was an important reason for me. But then, frankly, as I started to sit down and, and think about the book, uh, a more important reason came to me. And I made, it made me realize, because I, I finished this book at the end of last year. So I had the first year of the Biden administration, you know, happening while I was writing the book. And I realized that the American people needed to understand that while they might feel sorry for me, what I went through, what was going to happen to them was very similar to what happened to me. Uh, if we didn't take back control of our government and that, uh, that I was very concerned that uh, that the, the two-tiered system of justice, the uh, the cr- the trampling of my constitutional rights or uh, exactly what the Biden administration was going to be doing to the American people and of course during that year we had the Justice Department basically calling parents who went to school board meetings domestic terrorists. <laughs> uh, we had uh, we had 85,000 IRS agents, uh, uh, created to go after, that's more, 45,000 or 65,000 actually, more than uh, Border Patrol people protecting our country, they're gonna go, be, go, be going to go after not just, you know, random uh, applications or, or, or tax violence, but conservative tax violence, just like they did under the Obama administration when the IRS went after, uh, after foundations that were conservative in nature. I mean, all of this was, was happening while I was writing the book. And my point, in, in in I got into a number of these issues in the, the latter part of the book, is that the American people need to understand that we're at war mm-hmm. with a with an ideology, and it's an ideology that is uh, doesn't f- like what they what we were created to be, the republic that we were created to be. They don't believe the Constitution, uh, you know, has value unless they can use it against those who disagree. And the college campuses where you see uh, uh, conservatives being shut down from speaking, uh, to the way that Twitter was used, unfortunately now, is going to start to change a bit. Uh, the we, our constitutional rights were being eroded as part of a plan. And, uh, and if we didn't take control, that's the message of my book, then we are going to uh, find ourselves as a country and as an American people uh, having the same rights restricted that I had restricted during my experience.
3: Yeah, and it seems like a, a, a reoccurring instance that we see with a lot of these Trump adjacents—people that served in the administration or were on the original campaign, ones that came and gone. The, the the plan is to like kind of make them play lawfare, completely ruin their finances, drag their name through the mud, and make them seem like they're whatever kind of a narrative. They're they're you know pinning the tail on the donkey with that week. And then they just kind of, you know, move on to the next person. I mean, it, it, it was really great as, as you kind of go through the book to see, like, one of the undertones that, that our listenership will see once they get into this is that there's just like an unwavering loyalty here. You believed in the mission. You obviously believed in President Trump. And when, when you got, you know, literally put under the gun by the DOJ and, and, and you know, federal law enforcement, you, you held strong and were able to get through this. I think it's really amazing and says a lot of compliment to your uh, character and just the way that you, uh, you know, kind of went through this whole thing.
6: Well, thank. You. I appreciate that. I mean, look, to give them what they wanted, I would have had to lie. Yeah, and I wasn't going to lie. I mean, on top of which, I believe the mission that Trump was on, and as a candidate in 2015 and 16, and then as a president, was to end this weaponization of the political of the legal process uh, against uh, any Americans, not just conservative Americans. Uh, and uh, and so, to me, it was important that I not let them get what they want, which was me to tell lies for them to get after to go after the president of the United States.
3: Yeah. What do you think uh, now of the current situation with the president of the United States? Obviously a few weeks ago, he reannounced his, uh, you know, to run again for president and, yeah, he's looking to get back into a field that should be pretty diverse and robust in the 2024 general election cycle. Obviously, the chicks are, chips are always stacked against him because of uh, you know the way that uh, the entirety of the federal government works in, in corroboration with big tech and the mainstream media. And it looks like he's got a pretty big uphill to climb, but if anybody's ready for that kind of a fight, it's probably President Trump.
10: Look, the way, what I tell
6: people when they say, well, you know, wouldn't it be better if Trump didn't run and we have the value of Trump without the body of Trump? And I make the point, I said, look, understand something. Trump is the feared factor by the Biden administration, by the Democrats, by the woke left. Um, and so they're going to target him in the ways that they are targeting him. Uh, but if Trump took himself out of the equation, do you think that that same system would just say, OK, now let's, we'll go back to having our constitutional rights and we'll have a one tiered system of justice? No, whoever the next one up is going to be shot at the same way. Because Trump is the target, as, because he's the, the leader of, the system, of, of our, our party, if you will, in the context of, of the campaigns for 2024. Uh, and what he brings to the table is what we know is an undeterred resolve to not capitulate to the woke left on what they're trying to get him to do, number one. Number two, he brings a record of success as president which matches up perfectly with the record of failure of the Biden administration on the economy, on border security, on national security, on, on personal security. Uh, so the, the contrasts are very clear based on records. Forget the personalities, what was accomplished in, the, in Trump's term versus what's being accomplished or not accomplished in Biden's term. Uh, and, and so the same is there in my judgment for the kind of race we want to run as a, as a party against the Democrats, and to those people who say, "Well, yes, but the Independents are going to be uh, uh, voting against our nominee if it's Trump," and we have to we have to recapture that, I would point out simply that the reason the Independents didn't vote for us in, in the levels that we wanted them to in 2022 was because, as a party, we were out organized and outsmarted. Uh, our result, our, you know, I was not happy with the results in 2022. I thought we should have done better. Sure. I thought I thought the margins would have, said we should have done better. But what the Democrats did correctly was they ran a campaign based on what was happening on the ground, meaning early election voting. Uh, and and the, you know we were running our closing campaign ads after oftentimes half of the electorate already voted uh, in the general in the in the 2022 elections. So we were talking to a smaller group of people to start with. Uh, additionally, you know, we, we had the right messaging. We just had not the right delivery process. And unless you bring people to the polls, then those who come to the polls define what happened. But that doesn't define what existed. What existed was independence you know, being overwhelmingly opposed to what the Biden administration was, was doing. However, what turned out to vote were the activists that the Democrats turned out that we didn't mm-hmm. turn out on our side. And so uh, to me, 2022, the wake-up call is we got to get our act together and running a campaign structure based on the campaigns on the ground. If we do that, then whether it's Trump or anybody else as the nominee, we're going to have the race we want to run. Uh, we just have to get our pe- vote- voters to the polls. Uh, so... Do I think that Trump in the Nazi's candidacy has put the Republican Party in peril and put you know, those people who are fighting for, for the same things that the, the, the Make America Great Agenda stands for? Uh, no, I don't. And, and I think Trump has earned the right to run again. Uh, and if somebody thinks they can beat him, let him come out and beat him. But they're going to have to beat him on his record. <laughs> and I don't think he can do that in the Republican primary, primary process. Uh, and I think if you're looking at how Trump sees it, in 2015, they, 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 everybody was against Trump once they took him seriously, you know, as far as the establishment was concerned. Uh, and the people say, yeah, but now Trump's lost the, the Murdoch empire. Well, the Murdoch empire was for Bush mm-hmm. in 2015. Uh, it's when all of a sudden uh, it became apparent that Trump was going to be the nominee and that Trump was good for, making, for business for the Murdoch papers, for example, and, and, and Fox News that they came on board because of, of what Trump stood for. But so Trump looks at the situation no different than he did in 2015, and he's running for the right reason, which is to try, in 2015, it was to drain the swamp. In 2024, it will be to finish the job. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I'm not bothered by the fact that he's running. I think he has the right to run. I don't think that he puts the party in a bad place. Uh, And I think that we have to bring the focus uh, to what the issues are that Biden is doing, some of which are in my book, which talks about the weaponization of our law enforcement system. I do believe with the House Republican Party, the House being being captured by Republicans, we're going to be able to focus those issues more more granularly than we were uh, over the last two years. Uh, And we're going to show the abuses in all of their nakedness. Um, And and to those who say, well, but Trump could get indicted, all that's going to do is reaffirm the case that's going to be made in the House hearings that the system doesn't work. It's broken and it's being used for the political purposes that it was never meant to be
10: used.
3: No, I mean, you make a lot of sense there. You unpacked a lot of stuff. Uh, Going back to the candidates, you know, anybody who's going to run against Donald Trump in the the Republican primary is going to try and spin their version of MAGA or why we should get away with it. But when you just look at it on paper, the results that President Trump had, his biggest victories, are ones that – are once-in-a-generation victories or, or things that just change the way the party is. And, and it's going to be really hard as someone who's an establishment Republican who, who, or who's claiming they're an outsider to not have you know, receipts like President Trump is going to. And then, Paul, what I wanted to ask you last was, and I think as you're going through the book, it's also one of the undertones. Not only do you have a story to tell, but I get like the sense in reading it that you're not done in Republican politics yet. I know you do some consulting and stuff like that, but what do you see yourself and how do you want to be involved moving forward?
6: Look, I mean, uh, at this stage of my life, I've, uh, I've got the gray hair to go along with the idea of what gray hair stands for. Uh, and, and I think I do have a lot of experience, and, and I'm going to help my party. Uh, I'm going to help elect Republicans because I think it's not just helping my party, it's helping the country now. I mean, you know, in the past, elections were about parties, but now it's really an existential uh, 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 theme that's involved because we are fighting for our country now. Yeah. I mean, this woke left agenda you know, is really a dangerous thing for our future. And so the last thing I'm going to do at this part of my life is step off the stage. And, uh, you know, and so where I can be helpful, I'm going to be helpful. I mean, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I will focus on my experience, uh, my, my, my experience of what I've gone through in the last six years as, as an example of what we don't want to have anyone else go through.
3: Oh, it's uh It's been really crazy watching, you know, since the start of all this in 2015 up through where we're at now. And it seems like, I mean, this news cycle is one. We used to have presidencies where there would be like three or four big ticket items that would stay in the news cycle for the entirety of four years. And it's like, we can't go 24 hours with like either a domestic or, or geopolitical issue, just things that we've never seen before, just popping off over and over again. And, and we are really in some interesting time. Paul, we want to be able to direct everyone who's listening today to follow you on social medias. We're obviously going to link the book uh, in, in, in our description today. So if you want to tell us where we could find that as well, and we'd be looking forward to have you back at some point in the future.
6: No, I'd like to come back. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh troop social. Uh, at, at Paul Manafort in both places. And, uh, and the book is available on Amazon, and it says Simon & Schuster online. And, uh, uh, and and I appreciate uh, you, you giving me the opportunity to talk about the book, but more importantly, to talk about the issues that really are so important.
3: Well, they are important. We're going to wish you the happiest of holidays. And, again, thanks for coming down and uh, spending some time with us today. We're really looking forward to, uh, you know, pushing that book for you on, with our listenership, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, but not silenced, Mr. Paul Manafort. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care.
4: What a strange world the woke are creating. Their open borders policy has produced an epidemic of child sex trafficking. They use taxpayer dollars to transport unaccompanied minors across the country. These children are then delivered to those claiming to be friends or family and then abandoned. The Biden administration has now lost track of 45,000 children. That it is turned over to so called sponsors in this manner. Now, the Democrats won't even discuss the sex trafficking crisis that they've created, let alone do anything about it, because to condemn it is to acknowledge it, and they won't even do that. Yet they bring a bill to the floor today to virtue signal their opposition to sexual harassment in the workplace.
3: Mm. So that was going on up on Capitol Hill yesterday. That was.
0: 45,000? Uh, 40,
3: 45,000 at least. We've seen a lot of disturbing and alarming numbers come out from recently obtained footage from Project Veritas, who's been following these NGOs around, which basically confirmed, as Christina Bob talked about in our last segment, that, I mean, whether whether they mean to do it or not, HHS and the Department of Homeland Security are facilitating human trafficking, especially regarding children in this mm-hmm. country right now. These kids are coming in overwhelming majority of the time it's not even with their own family unit they're getting separated from the families delivered to a random address and when that happens the government is done with them yeah
0: all bets are off
3: and Antoinette, i hear you You want i I know you definitely want to chirp in on this one this is one of the ones that really bothers you
12: you know i agree with you it's just disgusting it makes me as a parent like i just just makes me sick to my stomach i just
3: yeah. yeah i mean the things that alejandro mayorkas and that whole team that's working over there at the Department of Homeland Security and the stuff they're complicit in since the start of the Biden administration—I can only imagine the level of information we're going to be receiving after January when they open up investigations yeah. to the crisis on the southern border. And when you're
0: you're funneling all that money into these NGOs that take care of these family units, like, well, you don't want them to hang on to the family units for very long because then you, all the money you're laundering actually gets used. Yeah, yeah. Well, go. these
12: NGOs also violate these children themselves. Yep. It's like.
3: Yeah, you saw some of the shady videos that came out from the Veritas uh, leaks on the parts of their new expose. Go to their accounts on whatever platforms. I know they're recently back on Twitter. See the work that James O'Keefe is doing in, in exposing this, and hopefully we'll get some more answers, uh, you know, in the new year regarding uh, getting to a solution where this stuff ends and we can finally corral out of these children that have just been lost in the wind. Um, you know, the kids and the people crossing the borders are, aren't the ones that are only affected by this. We we have talked Directly with people who live in the communities on the southern border. We also talk about all the time the people who work along the southern border. People who usually don't work on the southern border, but sometimes they fly over it. The U.S. Air Marshals Ooh. have picked up new jobs this year with the alarming numbers of uh, people coming into the country unabated uh, in regards to what the Biden administration's letting happen. They're
15: going to help out at the border?
3: Let's hear Tucky Carson talking about uh, them handing out juice boxes.
15: Turns out when you degrade and demoralize an institution, as the Biden administration has, people don't really want to work there anymore. That's true of police departments, it's true of the US military, it's also true of the border patrol. So as a result, the border patrol is running out of border patrol officers. So to fix the shortage, federal air marshals are now being redeployed to the southern border. Huh? That's a problem because they're needed on airplanes and dozens of marshals say they're not going. They don't want to leave flights vulnerable because why would they? It's their job to protect flights, not the border. Don't we have a military, by the way, for that? Sonia Labasco is a former air marshal executive director of the Air Marshal National Council. She joins us tonight. Sonia, thanks so much for coming on. So why is the Biden administration trying to order air marshals to the border like we don't have a National Guard?
16: Uh, Tucker, the bottom line is they're desperate. They do not want to declare a national emergency on the border, so they think they're secretly going to sneak air marshals off the planes and have us backfill those duties down on the border. And we're just not going to be quiet about it. We're going to come out. We're going to fight this. We don't think it's appropriate. If we looked at what happened on 9-11, look at our history. Let's go back. Four aircraft were taken in a matter of moments, 2,977 people were murdered, 6,000 were injured in a matter of minutes. We're really going to supplement the Border Patrol and leave our aircraft open? I don't think so. Why not just hire more Border Patrol agents? I mean, isn't that what they do? It is what they do. You know, air marshals are not trained to do those duties. We don't transport. We don't go to hospitals. We're highly skilled. We're... Operating at 35,000 feet in a moment's notice, we may have to utilize deadly force. Um, these these jobs are easily backfilled with NGOs or contractors. I have no idea why they're trying to pull the air marshals out of the sky. And we're at the highest travel time of our year, the busiest season. Right.
15: I mean, it might be just helpful if like border state governors sent their national guard in to save the country from destruction. Like there are other ways. Why is the Biden administration,
16: uh, sincere question, are they admitting that they're doing this? Is this happening in secret? Well, they are admitting that they're doing it, but they will not declare a national emergency. DHS Secretary Mayorkas has put together a southwest border plan mm. to try to incorporate the air marshals into that plan as part of TSA, but they're not declaring a national emergency on the border. They're saying the is secure. We're saying it's not secure, and now you're making our skies unsecure.
15: Yeah. Mm. It's unbelievable. Thank you, Sonia, for bringing attention to this. I appreciate it. I well. Are they just going to bring uh, <clears throat> airline seats in and just
0: like, you know, post them up <laughs> watching detention centers or something? <laughs> yeah. Make you feel at home? Oh my God. Have somebody roll by with a cart? Yeah. He, Peanuts?
3: He, he would go on to segue that. I bet you those guys when they signed up for that job never thought about passing out juice boxes and toilet papers. Migrant camps is going to be part yeah. of their job descriptions. They're they're like flight attendants now. Mm. Peanuts anyone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really sad. You know, the, the border crisis is something that we've covered heavily over the course of, uh, you know, our careers here on Steak for Breakfast. And, and we, we can't appreciate the people who, you know, dedicate a lot to working down there. But the fact of the matter is, is that this administration, this regime continues to do the things that circumvent a lot of the safeguards that are in place to just keep average citizens At a level of safety that is at like a normal level. Now you're taking, I mean, look at it. We do know because of a lot of investigative reporting that's gone on over the course of the last two years, often or not, big groups of these migrants are often brought to the airport and put on planes with little pieces of paper that say, I can't speak English, help me get to where I need to go. What if they start getting rowdy and now there's no air marshals on the planes?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Is there enough air marshals we can just give each alien their own air marshal? (laughs) Just bring them to where they need to go, drop them off, hold their hand. It's like a
3: weird version of migrant Pokemon. Mm. Yeah, it was, I was pretty uh, alarmed to see that and and didn't really like uh, the narrative that he was given about that. But you know what else I didn't like was the lies that continues to get spewed from this administration from the white house press secretary's podium. I know, no, Mr. So I included her in the show Uh. today, Peter Ducey and uh, KJP had a pretty nice, back and forth when asking about geographical locations and current presidents
7: of the United States. Let's hear it.
10: Kevin McCarthy says that he invited
7: President Biden down to the border. How does the president RSVP?
10: to well, we, know, we know the president's never been
7: down to the border. The possible next speaker says that he wants him to go with him, so is he going to?
17: So, look, uh, he's been there. He's been to the border. Uh, and since he took office... When, when was that? Since he took office, the President Biden has been uh, taking action to fix our immigration system and secure our border. And that's why on day one, he put forward an, an immigration, uh, immigration reform, a piece of legislation uh, to deal with uh, what is currently happening at the border, uh, but you know that we're not seeing that from Republicans. We're not seeing a willingness to work with us on on um, you know fixing a situation that's been around uh, for decades now. Uh, instead, they're they're doing um, political stunts. Uh, that's what they want to do. That's how they want to take care of the situation. Uh, but in, in the meantime, you know, the president has secured record levels of funding for the Department of Homeland Security. We have over 23,000 agents working to secure the border. We've taken thousands of smugglers off the streets. And we're co- cutting down an asylum pro- 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 processing uh, times. And a number of individuals arriving unlawfully from northern Central America and Venezuela is coming down significantly because of the actions that the president has taken. Okay. It's
3: because all the ones that want to come in are already here. Yeah, we're we're cutting down
0: on processing time. We're, we're, by what? By not doing as much of the processing? Like just letting them go instead of actually interviewing and doing the work? Well, we all know Mayorkas didn't have the data on that. Mm. I, I don't have the, the data. Uh, we, we are processing as fast as we can, and we would just like uh, just, uh, less people to come, but if they come, we will... Release them immediately. <laughs> he
12: didn't do the work, you know, and that's like the one thing he should know. And, and, and at least know something. Pretend, you know, Pretend to know. Work.
0: He knows everything. Yeah. He's he, just not admitting any of it.
3: He writes a lot of the policies
0: that deny, go around.
3: Denied, denied, He writes a lot of the policies that circumvent federal rulings. He's like, oh, okay, a court just ruled we can't do this anymore, so we're going to call it that and still do it. Yeah. I mean, I talked to a friend yesterday. Good friend. Uh, who knows people? And uh, you know we were talking about deportation numbers, how th- we saw a little bit of a decline in the last year of the the Trump presidency. It was like at fifty percent to the year prior in twenty twenty. Then the first year of the Biden administration, the number had dipped close to seventy percent less uh, than the normal average. And you know I asked him, I was like, well, what do you see or what do you hear about now? And he's like, actually, deportations are up all time highs. Uh, Hmm. record numbers of people are getting deported or removed from the United States. And I said, okay, but what about when you take that number and put it up against the astronomical numbers, numbers like we've never seen before? I said the most we've ever seen come into the country, I think before last year was like 1.2 million ever. Last year we were up around 1.4, and this year we're at 2.5 million people. And then he's like, you want to know what? You're right. Uh, When you look at that from like a per capita, I guess numbers are around 90% less based off the amount of people that are coming in.
0: Yeah, it's like when people they they have the argument with me over the fact that uh, seizures and stuff like that are down at the border. You I mean know, like, when you when look they at, catch drugs? Yeah, like you look at all the 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 numbers that come out on on the amount of stuff that they're interdicting. I was like, well, it looks like it looks like they're catching a record amount of fentanyl and blah 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 blah. And I was like, well, yeah, that's because they're they're just sending it hand over fist. There's the amount of drugs that are coming in that were that 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 we're not interdicting is huge.
16: Mm-hmm. So
0: obviously numbers are going to go up. It's like, you know, if, if everybody and their mother, you know, throws a snowball at the same time, like some of them are going to hit the fence. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, we did see that big drug interdiction two weeks ago where uh, a Customs and Border Patrol agent was killed mm-hmm. in a gunfight with cartel agents and three of the four other people on the helicopter who was, trying to stop these drugs from coming in off the coast of Puerto Rico. It was a helicopter well. or a
0: boat? I thought it was a boat.
3: Helicopter to boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was pretty uh pretty alarming to uh and just news completely like the agent was killed, shot and killed shooting with cartel members who are bringing in drugs to this country. It was in the news for like 5 minutes, bottom ticker. And it was and a it was couple of very
0: very very limited detail. It was just like, oh, blah blah blah, something happened.
4: Yeah.
3: I got, you got that. You, got, you know, just got killed, and what can you do about it except uh, talk about it on shows like this? I saw one of our favorite senators, Josh Hawley. He was on Boomer Sweats last night, and he was talking about the Department of Homeland Security and uh, their corroboration with the FBI and multiple other agencies used to legally track Americans and uh, flex their power. Let's hear this. We're sticking with the uh, larger apparatus,
7: DHS. It doesn't even exist yet, and here know oh, about it. Well, what we know is, is that these groups and one major group in particular was actually sending memos to this disinformation board, apparently advocating for policy, sending it to them. Remember, this board supposedly doesn't even exist yet. And here you have the liberal dark money groups know all about it. They are emailing policy memos to the group, to the disinformation board and saying, here's what you ought to do. So you have this collusion between the liberal big money interests, between big tech. We know that the disinformation board was setting up a special arrangement with the big tech companies so that they could meet and coordinate their censorship. It's unbelievable stuff, Sean, and this administration has lied about it at every turn.
15: Now They said they disbanded this disinformation group, and you have evidence to the contrary that that is not true? They lied again?
7: Well, here's what they're doing, Sean. In fact, we know from a federal court lawsuit that is underway right now, a federal judge just ruled a few weeks ago that the Department of Homeland Security sits at the nerve center of federally directed censorship. That is a quote, at the nerve center of federally directed censorship. They have a whole operation, according to this judge, according to the facts presented in this case, and it involves DHS, it involves the FBI, it involves multiple other agencies that are using their power to track Americans to conduct domestic censorship. Sean, I think it's illegal. I think it's unconstitutional, and we've got to get to the bottom of it and stop it. Mm.
3: What do you think about that, Noah?
0: <laughs> I mean, didn't we say that's exactly what they're going to do? They're going to, okay, whoa, well, we're not going to do that now. But we're going to go do it over here while well, you're not looking.
3: You know, I don't, I don't know why everybody always seems so surprised. I have the article saved right here. And it's from June 16th, which is like a month after the supposed disinfo board that was going to be headed by Nina Jenkin, which was disbanded. It's from the New York Post. It's not some fringe bullshit, you know, uh, news outlet. Entitled Big Sister 2, Kamala Harris now leads Joe Biden's latest disinformation team. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it here. Another day, another White House disinformation task force. The Biden administration on Thursday created a new Internet policy task force. This one led by... Vice President Kamala Harris with goals to protect political figures and journalists from disinformation and or abuse and harassment online. Um, This action follows the Department of Homeland Security's disastrous April rollout and May cancellation of its actual disinformation governance board, which paused after the outrage over the perceived step towards government led internet censorship. A Presidential memorandum establishing the new task force describes a sweeping mission to protect people online and in public life from online critics. The only thing that they essentially changed in this is that they added women and LGBTQI plus people to the fine print and said, well, we're going to start by protecting them, but we're going to do all the other stuff the disinformation board was going to do. I mean, people try to break this news like it's something that wasn't in the news cycle. Like if you don't want to do your own research and figure out that they were going to. Come up with a new way to do this like almost immediately um, and use the protection of having the vice president of the United States as the head of it instead of some random girl who was like a, you know, ridiculously radical liberal shit poster and cancellationer online for decades. And
0: something that they were obviously already doing, but just thought that with the political climate, they'd be allowed to get away with it now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Because remember, dum- democracy is always on the ballot. So what are you going to do about that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, if anybody ever wants. Just hit me up in the DMs. I'll forward you the link again. That's a New York Post article from this June, and uh, they were ready to roll that out as soon as the the other one pretty much get was DOA up on Capitol Hill after some of the congressional hearings. Um, I don't know if you saw, there was a state visit, which which led to a state dinner that we talked about in our cold open today. Um, French President Emmanuel Macron came over to uh, yeah, thank you, hang out with Basements, and uh, they had a joint presser. You can only imagine how great that went. Mm. Um, Let's see some of the topics they hit on. Everyone's favorite, definitely one of Noah's favorites, the narrative involving Ukraine.
2: Mm. (laughs) um,
17: uh, President Biden is asking Congress for $38 billion of additional funding for support for Ukraine. Uh, There's been some pushback from Republicans in Congress saying that they cannot continue to write a blank check. So, do you have confidence that the United States will be able to continue supporting Ukraine's defense in the way it has over the past year, in the months going forward? And uh, did you talk to President Biden about trying to urge Ukraine to negotiate to end this war, Um, you know, especially with winter bearing down and and the effects on energy prices?
18: Look, I do thank President Biden and his administration for the great commitment they had vis-à-vis Ukraine, Ukrainian people. And and let me just say that... Do we have a garrison button in French? Our two nations (laughs) are made of values and history. And what is at stake in Ukraine is not just very far from here, in a small country somewhere in Europe, but it's about our our values. And it's about our principles. Mm. And it's about what we agreed together in the UN Charter, protecting sovereignty and territorial integrity. And this is why I do believe that having the US strongly supporting the Ukrainians in that time is very important, not just for the Ukrainians, for the Europeans we are. This is why we do thank you for the solidarity, but for the stability of our world today. Because if we consider that we can abandon the country, and abandon the full respect of these principles, it means that there is no possible stability in this world. So I think it's extremely important to have you so much committed. So I'm confident because I think your people and, uh, and uh, your representatives do endorse and understand this objective. We will follow up our own support. We increased our military support, we increased our economic support. We, we, we are increasing our humanitarian support. And for the second question you raised, let me tell you that we will never urge the Ukrainians to make a compromise which will not be acceptable for them. Mm. Because they are so brave and they defend precisely their lives, their nation, and our principles. And because it will never build a sustainable peace if we want a sustainable peace. We have to respect the Ukrainians to decide the moment and the conditions in which they will negotiate about their territory and their future. <laughs> well, we've already
0: we've already established that Ukraine wants to be part of NATO, which is going to be a big no-no. Yeah. So basically you're saying that they get what they want or we're, or we're going to not stop paying. It's like, that's easy for you to say. Mr. How much percent does fucking NATO uh, get paid by France? Wee 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 wee,
3: like zero. My how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, I mean I know they've become the surrender champions of the universe, but every time I watch the Patriot, see the the, the Frenchies come in and give us a big assist, gets me hyped. Mm-hmm. And we have gone.
0: And then you think like, well, I guess that's that's over.
8: Yeah,
3: it certainly is, especially with weak ass leaders like. Emmanuel Macron, um, a lot of stuff. to um, It's just it's word salad. Like, can't give up their sovereignty. Have to protect democracy. European I bet that allies. shit would
0: change if if they started having to foot as much of the bill as we do.
3: Yeah, or or Vladimir if Vladimir Putin really launched an offensive there because what he's doing is essentially this is what's happened. This is a border skirmish. Putin wants some of the to reclaim some of the land lost in the collapse of the USSR, uh, which is argumentative. On both ends, you could see pluses and minuses with it. I mean, NATO has pretty much gone against their word expanding east while Russia is losing ground on its western front. So, you know, you can make an argument for either side, and I'm not saying either side is is right, but the, the fact of the matter is is that this could have been negotiated out a long time ago. Now we're at a point to where it's pretty hot along the borders and, and, and just outside of the Donbas regions, Crimea, places like that. Russia's trying to establish a permanent footing. Every time Ukraine sabotages a Russian oil plant, blows up a pipeline, assassinates a general, Vladimir Putin runs sorties and bombs the shit out of more of interior Ukraine. And then it's just over and they stop until the next thing happens. Mm-hmm. And this all could have been negotiated out at the table, probably with a little bit of L for Ukraine. But if they're going to get all this money to rebuild their shitty little country, then who cares? If I mean, if you have less of a country, you have more money to rebuild. Yeah. They you know, they already want like infinity dollars to, you know, keep their schools open and their nightclubs. Uh, d-
0: listen, the DJs aren't going to pay themselves. Well, at least the beaches don't cost anything to stay open. Just, That's just- and the public fountains.
3: Yeah, mm. heard the falafels good this time of year over there. Ooh. Joe Biden, hypothesized about a one-on-one meeting with the tyrant dictator Putin. Um, <laughs> I'll just show Noah so he can laugh. Look at the look at Macron's face when he's talking about it. Yeah, not good. Ooh. But uh, well, let's hear him.
18: Emmanuel Macron doit s'entretenir dans les um, prochains jours, les prochaines semaines avec uh, Vladimir Poutine. Um... Le lien est maintenu depuis le début de la guerre, vous n'avez pas toujours été d'accord avec cela. Est-ce que aujourd'hui vous approuvez?
4: We hear that
17: uh, you will be talking to President Putin any time soon. Um what is your approach? Um and as uh, so the Ukrainian war seems to be a turning point, do you feel realistic uh, that uh, President Zelensky is putting a condition to open negotiations and uh, that is the return of Crimea to Ukraine?
1: Look, there's one way for this war to end, the rational way. Putin will pull out of Ukraine, number one. But it appears he's not going to do that. He's paying a very heavy price for failing to do it, but he's inflicting incredible, incredible carnage on the civilian population of Ukraine, bombing nurseries, hospitals, children's homes. It's sick, what he's doing. But the fact of the matter is, I have no immediate plans to contact Mr. Putin. Mr. Putin is – let me choose my words very carefully. God. Thank you. I'm prepared to speak with Mr. Putin if, in fact, there is an interest in him deciding he's looking for a way to end the war. He hasn't done that yet. If that's the case, in consultation with my French and my NATO friends, I'll be happy to sit down with Putin to see what he wants, has in mind. He hasn't done that yet. In the meantime, I think it's absolutely critical what Emmanuel said. We must support the Ukrainian people. The idea that Putin is ever going to defeat Ukraine is beyond comprehension. Imagine them trying to occupy that country for the next 2, ten, twenty 10, 20 years, if they could, if they could. He's miscalculated every single thing he initially calculated. He thought he'd be greeted with open arms by the Russian-speaking portions of the Ukrainian population. Go back and read his speech when he invaded, when I said they were going to invade, and they did when we said they were. <laughs> Go back and read the speech he made. What? He talked about him with needing to be another Peter the Great. He talked about the need for the people that have, Kiev is the mother load of Russian identity in the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. He's just miscalculated across the board. And so the question is, what is his decision? How does he get himself out of the circumstances in? I'm prepared if he's willing to talk to find out what he's willing to do. But I'll only do it in consultation with my NATO allies. I'm not going to do it on my own. Why does it have to be us that talks to him?
3: Why does he have to ask permission to talk to him? So you're telling me, if the if the back channel phone, right, or the red phone, whatever they use, Vladimir Putin calls and says, "Get me Basements right now. Get him on the phone. I'm gonna give him my newest list of demands." Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has to say, "Hang on a minute," and then call NATO and ask them if he's allowed to talk to them.
0: Wild. And aren't there NATO representatives over there that are? Oh, I don't know, within a stone's throw of what's going on. Oh, that's right. They're not paying as much as we are.
3: Well, it's, they also go get to go over to uh, Ukraine whenever they want and and just freely tour the city, right? Yeah. Mm. Weird. So weird. So dangerous. Worst mm. war zone in the history of war zones. Um. You know, it's just so like the optics of this just look bad. Like like from it, it's it's like I'm saying you can't literally say it's the worst war ever and this is like the biggest war crimes where's the evidence of that
12: exactly
3: like they talk about all of these civilian deaths and casualties targeting children targeting homes we don't i don't see that where if that was really the case I mean, they showed so much fake video footage during the Iraqi occupation of Kuwait when they were really fucking doing bad stuff. They weren't unplugging babies in the incubators and the NIC units at, like, Kuwaiti hospitals, like they were reporting. But they were doing massive property destruction and, like, blowing shit up all over the place.
12: at The start of all of this, when this all started, this Ukraine-Russia thing, all the fake videos all the disinformation the video game footage (laughs) yeah like non like come on now like at this point it's it's hard to even believe at all any anything they say i mean i don't believe anything they say from you know the the beginning but like you said there's absolutely no evidence like even if let's say that was happening it would be hard to hide
3: yes it certainly would i mean those are legitimate war crimes exactly uh, stuff like that could at least trigger an Article Four, in, in, in the NATO uh, pact, which which it means everybody has to get down and 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 sit down and talk and get to the bottom of it of what they're going to do next. But we're not even seeing that. We're just seeing a lot of virtue signaling on both sides and 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 making threats that. I mean, I literally think our our world leaders, and in collaboration with NATO, ignore the stuff that Vladimir Putin says just as much as he ignores what they say.
12: Yeah. I
2: agree.
3: And their governments getting rich off this.
12: Yeah, and I think that they just want to drag this out for as long as possible because it's a massive money maker and they're laundering and god knows what else and ugh, who knows. Demonize Putin obviously.
3: Sure. And uh you know, it's I saw today Zelensky urges lawmakers to ban Russian-linked Ukrainian Orthodox Church throughout the country. What? This is when he's already eliminated the opposition political party. He's op- he's he's taken all of the news agencies and conglomerated them into one big state-run media God damn it, apparatus. <laughs> and uh you know, it, it's it's like what's going on here? And billions and billions and billions of dollars every month.
12: What's what's up? Like, why would he he wants them to remove the church?
3: Yeah, ban the Russian-linked Orthodox Church and its practices throughout Ukraine.
12: That's unbelievable. I mean, to me, I, I so I, I'm not surprised because Russia is a very Christian Orthodox country now yeah. because of brought God back after you know communism pretty much left that country and. I mean, it just tells you everything you need to know about about Zelensky. Yeah, anymore. the quote
3: the quote from Zelensky today was: "It is necessary to create such conditions in which any figures dependent on the aggressor country will not be able to manipulate Ukrainians and or weaken Ukrainian from within."
16: Well,
12: he's going to make God very, very angry. Yeah. Putin's the last worries.
3: He's saying that the Russian linked Orthodox Church in Ukraine is like a. Uh, a PSYOP link to yeah. uh, to the Russian government. And I was like, mm, that's not really the way
10: mass work works. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez.
3: So I know we teased it already. Uh, Barack Obama was out on the campaign trail. He's stumping down in Georgia for Raphael Warnock, is probably their highest profile loser out on the campaign trail. Not really talking about Raphael Warnock or any of the great things Joe Biden's doing, but talking to the way about Joe Biden usually got responsibilities. Not given to him under mm. the previous administration. Let's hear Obama.
11: I know some folks in our lives who we don't wish them ill
2: will. They say crazy stuff. We're like, well, you know, Uncle Joe, you know what happened to him? You know, it's okay. It, he, they're part of the family, but you don't give them serious responsibilities.
12: Boarding slip or purpose dig?
3: How do you say that? You're stumping for a senator who's going to be working under this president, and that's what you say about him.
12: Uncle <laughs> Joe,
3: you don't give him responsibility. He's like that one uncle.
12: Oh, my gosh. He
3: had the good accent going, too. He sure did. Because <clears throat> down there in Georgia.
0: <laughs> He's part of the family.
3: And don't worry. I mean, we've got some garrison-related material in, in news, too, but... I'm worried. Joe Biden was... With the holiday backdrop in the White House, which is like <laughs> literally, they bought it all at Target in like big, big lots.
0: And 45% of it is uh, actually his wife's uh,
3: clothes. Yeah. The, the uh, couch tapestry that she usually wears yeah. and shower curtains that she shows up to and shit. Joe Biden wanted to tell everybody that listen, regardless of what anybody else says, I'm telling you, good old Scranton Joe, shit looks pretty damn good in the United States right now. Let's hear it.
1: We're here. Things are moving. They're moving in the right direction. As we go into the holiday season, here's what this all means. The Americans are working, the economy is growing, Uh-oh. wages are rising faster than inflation, and we've avoided a catastrophic rail strike. Uh-oh. It means our plan to build the economy from the bottom up and the middle out, you're tired of hearing me say that, but yes. it's working. And the wealthy are still doing very well while the middle class and the poor are having a shot. Uh-oh.
2: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Scissor me, tambers.
3: Yeah. You want to unpack that for our listenership, Noah? Everything's fine.
0: Everything's fine. All the shit that you're seeing firsthand with your fucking eyes is not real. You're cra- you're a crazy person and person, and you're seeing what is not happening.
3: My I wife doesn't. My wife. My wife doesn't even look at the receipts anymore because like I proved to her how expensive grocery shopping is. She used to like want She used to be the, like, "What are you buying? Are you buying the kids' toys? Are You buying like stuff that you know." It obviously doesn't go in the kitchen or the pantry, so what is it? No, it costs $300 for a week of groceries at our house. And then yeah. I always I always bring up on Friday or Saturday, well, look at that. We ate all the food we bought, which cost twice as much as it did two years ago.
8: <laughs> right.
12: We were at Costco, and, like, we spent, like, almost $600, and we're looking at the trunk when we got home. We're like, fuck, like, what did we buy for $600? <laughs>
3: no, you're right. Because you like, Did you know buy what...
0: a computer? Is, it, is, it, is there a laptop under there? Like a new iPod? What, what...
12: Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what in the world?
3: Like... And you know what I've really noticed over the course of the last couple of weeks? Because it's really been bothering me because I have to work more just to, like, sustain the normalcy of, like, the family and stuff, right?
12: Yeah, to make up for, like, yeah, exactly. It's... The receipts
3: are getting smaller. It used to be like, okay, I'd spend $300 for a week's worth of food, but it was like a foot and a half long receipt. Yeah. The guy gave me the receipt the other day, and I was like, is that it? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, looking at it, and it's like
12: 23
3: items, $289. I'm like,
12: That's so funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking that the other day. You just got to go
3: to CVS. You'll feel better about it.
12: I know. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Fucking 30 feet of receipt.
12: That's so funny.
3: Well, I tell you what, you know, it, it's it's uh, going to be interesting moving forward to see how long they can continue to post up these lies. It wasn't enough in the midterm elections, uh, a lot due to self-inflicted stab wounds. But moving forward, you know, the next two years are more of a focus on the general election cycle. So the narrative is going to change the actual direction of the country. Presidential candidates will be able to stump on those numbers instead of... Small insignificant House districts, and then a couple random Senate seats, five or six of them across the country. The Dems have a shit ton. I think they have 14 Senate seats to defend in 2024. And uh, people looking to get primaried, like Cinema and Joe Manchin, are not looking very good right now because of how they've kind of jumped onto the Biden train and getting some of this America Last legislation passed. Uh, not only that, but you're going to have Donald Trump on the ticket as well. So He's not going to be going to do Save America rallies for people that he has to call up on stage. He's going to be doing rallies for himself and then encouraging people to vote up and down the ticket uh, overwhelmingly for those America First candidates. And I'm sure he'll be endorsing as he's going to probably a lot more locations than he did uh, over the course of the you know midterm election season. One of those places is going to be Florida, who, regardless of what you think of anything that's going on right now there or where Ron DeSantis stands as a possible presidential primary nominee, they have done stuff good in in regards to medical freedom getting out of the pandemic. So let's talk about that a little bit with someone who's actually an expert. All right. Joining us next on the show today, he's the 25th state health officer and surgeon general, the great state of Florida. He's joining us for the first time, his new book transcending fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership in public health is tearing up the charts. It's a heater. Dr. Joseph Ladapo, Thanks for joining us on the show.
14: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys.
3: It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? Successful launch of the book. It's it's a really interesting read. I mean, a lot of people who kind of went through the pandemic, etc., watched the way Florida was a little bit ahead of the curve everywhere else and then kind of just took the lead and ran with it. Uh, it's been a big part of the success that you guys have had down there. What was the, uh, you know, motivation behind this to kind of lay this out there for, God forbid, something like it ever happens again, to be able to have a more actual – Actual trust the science look at it like you have.
14: Yeah, well, fortunately, first of all, we've got Governor Ron DeSantis, and he's just he is the major force the the primary force behind of course why florida did what it did and how florida was able to navigate all that florida has done from the lockdowns to mass mandates to the vaccine mandates to vaccine passports and now we're in an era where there are more issues related to things like vaccine safety that's an issue that that the cdc hasn't given sufficient or honest attention to but florida's is doing that so with the book one of the things that uh, that i wanted to do was just express my progression is is my work at ucla as a professor there and as a physician there and the arc that brought me to florida to work with governor desantis and just in a transparent way so folks can see what i was thinking and and fortunately a lot of what i was thinking is in print because I, i wrote a bunch of editorials so we do have people now that are trying to rewrite history and pretend that they weren't they weren't hoping for the type of lockdowns that China did, mm. and those are inhumane. But what we were trying to do back then wasn't inhumane. Yeah. So people, some people are trying to rewrite history, and uh, and it's you know the, fortunately the history is in the book.
3: That's true, and a lot of selective memory uh, there when people are getting questioned in regards to you know just how <laughs> that history went down. But here's the thing: life, or at least career in medicine, like yourself has had, and then you go into the pandemic how did things unfold for you hearing what you were hearing from the overwhelming federal portions of like the medical community and what you saw on the ground and how those didn't really line up the way that they were telling you that they probably were going to
14: yeah it, w- it was a very interesting experience for me because i went from being uh you know i was a professor at ucla and i was a popular guy in the department that did good work you know i'm like i like people i'm a nice guy so you know i, I had a lot of friends in the department and i became essentially an outcast i mean it, that's what i became yeah. with writings during the pandemic uh, for you know until i left california and came here and uh, interestingly some of the some of the the animosity I, that i stirred up from just having an opinion a perspective that was different from the mainstream perspective it continues to haunt me so i had at the time i left uh, left ucla i like I said, I was a clinician scientist. I had four NIH grants. I, you know, I was doing well scientifically. And uh, and I can't actually, I'm having trouble with UCLA getting my grants to come here to University of Florida. Weird. So it's it's still continuing. And it's, it's just, it's been an interesting experience for me. And I think for other doctors who just didn't toe the mainstream line.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. And it seemed like, you know, what I wanted to ask you next, as you began to push back and do things differently in Florida, that some other states were doing, but you guys kind of took the lead on and then, you know, like you said, laid out the blueprint for it. How did you see more success there than in a lot of other states throughout the course of the pandemic and then coming out of it?
14: I think there there, there are a few different reasons. And, and one of them is that the policies, they they just, they just don't work. These, the, the, so you're basically inviting a lot of pain and suffering and sacrifice amongst your citizens without like, without anything to show for it, really the vaccine mandates. I mean, they, they have created more division and divisiveness and conflict than any good Uh, the, and then, you know, even if you're, because you know, and, and it's, it, I actually want to take a moment just to talk about that. Yeah. Because you've got the people who want to take it, and they're going to take it no matter what. You have the people who don't want to take it, and some of them will feel coerced to take it. Mm-hmm. So you're not creating a better society, a more, you know, more you know, sort of a, a more a happier, more benevolent society. When you're making people, you're forcing them to stick something into their body that they don't want. I mean, there's just, it's just been all harm. The mask mandates, same thing. You know, the CDC points to these Confounded studies, but ultimately the clinical trials have the answer, and they found basically no benefit or very tiny little benefit that's not worth fighting over. Mm-hmm. So it's so they the policies have basically subscribed people up for pain and suffering and loss. But like, what do they have to show for it? They got nothing to show for it. Unfortunately, that didn't happen here in Florida.
3: No, it certainly didn't, and uh, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Coming out of everything, and and throughout the course of your guys' first. Uh, You know, governance there with Ron DeSantis, you guys are moving into your second term now. Great to see that you'll be coming back as well. What do you think some of those successes you had had throughout the course of the pandemic and coming out of it will do to help continue to bring Florida on the track to be a leader in the medical community as far as like statewide governance goes moving forward?
14: Well, I I mentioned the COVID-19 vaccines yeah. and safety, and that's an area that we're going to keep working on because, and many Americans can very plainly see this, the COVID-19 vaccines have been, you know, why are you, why are you building a propaganda machine for a medical product? Mm-hmm. And many Americans recognize that. And, you know, one of the casualties of that type of situation is truth. So a lot of people feel that they've had adverse events, but they're being called crazy or it's all in your head or it's not real or no, how could that be? These vaccines are totally safe. And. Those people, and even the people who didn't have adverse events, they deserve justice. And part of justice is honesty. So digging into safety issues is going to be one of the things that we do during this term, in addition to all the other good things that we can do in public health, such as promoting exercise, good nutrition, sleep, good mental and emotional health, and things like that. So we'll be doing all that this term.
3: Yeah, that's just some amazing work you guys have done down there. And it's good to see. I, I mean, I know I've seen you speak recently. I was, I was checking out some of your social medias last night, really advocating against like the, the vaccine mandates in regards to children, especially because of some of the health related risks that go along with it. And how, you know, once you do something like that to your body, it's not like something you could just take a medicine for and, and make it better. It's kind of something that you may be struggling with that, unfortunately, for the rest of your life.
14: Right. Absolutely. And I'm just grateful that most parents have voted with their feet. I think something like 90 percent or more of parents have opted against giving these COVID-19 vaccines to their little ones, like their infants and toddlers. It's just it's really I'm, I'm grateful for that. But just the fact that the CDC and Dr. Fauci were even pushing that just shows how disconnected they are from reality and how bought into they are into this propaganda campaign.
3: A lot of special interests moving along there, and I think we're going to see some of that uncovered uh, with the Republican House up in the Beltway after the third of the new year. It's at least my hope to get, you know, to the bottom of some of the stuff that we saw and how much special interest money and, and influence from big pharma really came in advocating for this stuff when we really didn't need it throughout the course of the pandemic. Dr. Ladapo, we want to be able to direct our listenership to either follow you on social media. Obviously we're going to live link the book in the, in the show description today. And we'd at some point love to have you back. This was great sitting down and talking with you.
14: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys very much for having me on. So you can you can find the book on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or any of the major uh, major book retailers. And then on Twitter, I'm at Florida Surgeon General. I'm also on LinkedIn under my own personal name, Joseph Latipo, and you know, and people reach out to me, and if I, I I look at the messages, so I do write back when I when I have an opportunity, and uh, you know, and I just uh, I'm, I'm grateful for what you guys do as proponents of freedom and and independent thought and independent thinking. And i I just want to just want to salute your listeners for continuing on that path.
3: Well, we got a lot of good friends down in Florida, and we admire a lot of the stuff that you guys have done down there too. Not just for medical freedom, a lot of stuff across the board that's really helped. Uh, like you said, made the state in a, a blueprint for a lot of stuff. That's right. And we'll be live linking that book, Transcending Fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership and public health, from Joseph Ladapo, the doctor joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for coming down, sir.
14: All right, thanks, guys.
19: Republicans say that um, Democrats are picking on Elon Musk.
13: Elon Musk is doing just fine.
19: But do you think that users have a right to freedom of
13: speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work.
3: Well, that was one of Noah's favorite senators, (laughs) Pocahontas. That's how it's been working. Yeah. So That's amazing. How many people are in the United States currently? 300 and some odd million, over 350 million people in the United States, right? Alejandro Mayorkas is is one person at the head of an agency that's trying to determine what is good to talk about and what isn't. And, And you can... Get your door kicked in and go to it's jail. It's amazing.
0: Like- it is amazing when they just completely invalidate their their entire rhetoric by saying that the things that they're doing shouldn't be done. It's amazing. Like, how, how are you going to look at that and be like, "No, I, yeah, I mean, normal. When, when you, uh, it's okay when we do it, though."
3: No, it's it, it's 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 just listen. Yesterday, two days ago, Elon Musk. We don't like it and, and think it's really weird, and I'm not into that whole transhumanism shit, but I'm not going to do show after show on it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyways, Elon Musk rolled that out two days ago. There was the monkey asking for snacks with the friggin' Neuralink in its brain. Weird. And then yesterday, he's trying to roll out, live on Twitter, the Tesla semis, the semi-trucks.
0: Mm-hmm. That don't need don't need drivers?
3: Yes. Yeah, so long story short... He's got all this shit that like for and, and then he did the rocket went further, or whatever did the rocket test this week for the I don't know what the fuck it's called the Raptor dragon or whatever the the next one that he's doing is, but he had successful rocket tests, chocolate he, squirrel he's got all this shit going on, and then he's got to worry about nine hundred million people on fucking Twitter tagging him with the Alex Jones shit showathon going on yesterday, yeah and all this <laughs> stuff that's happening there, you know what I'm saying and, and it's just like. Oh, you, you kind of feel for the guy. He's got pressure from the White House. he got pressure from Congress. He's got pressure from the users on his platform. It, yeah. it, everybody wants to redefine what f- free speech is and, and First Amendment rights. And then you have that whole thing go on, which is like dinner gate on steroids because they were live on TV with probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching by the end of it.
12: I need to catch it cuz I only got caught some clips. I need to start watching it today in full.
3: You know what? I didn't want to spoil it, so I watched it right up until Laura Loomer called in and then I just turned it off. I said cuz you want to know what? I'm she's going to be on the show tomorrow anyways. Yeah. So, which is where we're going with this. But before we get to that, Peter Ducey asked KGP, "Listen, if you guys don't like Twitter so much, when is the White House going to cancel their official account?"
14: Ooh. Pretty sure
3: you're going to like her answer, right? <laughs> let's let's hear
7: it. When are you guys going to delete the White House Twitter account?
17: Why would we do that?
7: Well, you're saying that you're keeping an eye on Twitter because it might not be a suitable platform, so why use it?
17: Look... I want to be very clear here. The president has always said, and he has been very very uh, clear in his belief, that it is important of social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate, speech, and misinformation. And he will continue to say that. uh, But media platforms make independent choices about their information uh, that they present. And so, uh, look, I I don't have anything to share on any policy or any changes that we will be making. Uh, We have multiple platforms, as you know. Uh, that we utilize uh, also- to communicate with the American people.
7: When you say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there, if you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down?
17: So look, you know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it is... Uh, I, I hate to break it to you, Peter. Ugh. Just like everybody else, we very much monitor the news. We pay close you, attention to everything that you all are reporting. <laughs> oh. and And Twitter's in the news a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to what is in the news and what is being reported on, uh, on the misinformation that's out there. Let's not forget there's groups like NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, and the public health leaders have been very vocal about their concerns as well. So, yes, we are uh, reading what you all... Are, are writing and, and looking at what you all are reporting uh, about the misinformation uh, that is out there but you know i would hope that all americans uh including social media companies civil rights organizations i just laid out <laughs> including fox as well will agree that uh we need to uh you know we need to uh to uh, you know call out hate speech oh. and misinformation
3: Whew. Man, she was struggling at oh, the yeah. end there. Man, it was like it, it was she was short circuiting. The 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 waves were just washing over her face. She was she was ready to be shipwrecked forever. Mm. <laughs> oh gosh!
0: I, I mean, good right. good job, Nan, not answering the question though.
3: That was right. the longest non-answer she's given in a while. Yeah,
0: I mean, that was like I was waiting for her to s- circle back to the non-answer, but she never did.
3: Oh, it's just mm, I, I can't get over the way these people just are able to propagate this without any kind of filter. Like if Elon Musk ever hears from someone who listens to this show and has the guy's ear, just dude, all those white house accounts, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, that tranny that just got caught stealing luggage at the airports, (laughs) the the nuclear garbage (laughs) advisor, the dude who's the four star admiral at the health and human services administration, all those people, everything they say, that you know is completely false. Yeah. Fact check the shit out of it. Just yeah. start slapping the labels on there. Well, he's been
0: doing that a little bit.
3: I know, but I just want to see him get like a ridiculous taste of their own mess. And he should go back to when KJP was denying Donald Trump's election win in 2016 and fucking label all strikes for all of those tweets. Misinformation. Every time someone posts videos of her, tag her and put a false information thing on there. Just do all that stuff. Make him feel what it's like. I couldn't imagine for one of these people well, I guess now Kanye West, mm. but but just to absolutely just lose their account for mm-hmm. for posting. I mean, he didn't post nothing. He posted some really off-the-wall shit, but the fact of the matter is, and then he posted screenshots of the conversation when Elon Musk was like, bro, calm the fuck down, and he's like, who made you the free speech god? Like, he, <laughs> he took his screenshots of his text messages and put them out on those nasty things that he was putting up on Twitter yesterday, which was...
12: Elon's text messages between each other?
3: Yeah. Oh,
0: yikes yeah he's like posting like swastika star davids and stuff like that
12: oh the riel something riel yeah the the far
3: east religious symbol but listen he wasn't posting it because he supports the far east religious symbol or the far east religion that uses it he was doing it to be kanye yeah so huh uh (laughs) resident racist Twitter non-appreciator Joy Reid wanted to weigh in on everything between Elon Musk and Dinnergate and how it's all connected. Let's hear her false narrative real quick.
13: You know some people come out and say well that's horrible you know and say he's a terrible person they don't want to talk about Trump they say but Trump's not an anti semite they, they carve out of that Trump's not a bad guy he shouldn't have had him at the table but the problem is the rest of what Fuentes just said Uh, To me, that doesn't sound any different than fundamentally what the party platform is. They don't believe in elections. Mm. They don't necessarily like the idea of democracy. Mike Lee said democracy is a bad idea. They don't like the idea of women controlling their bodies. Mm -hmm. They clearly wouldn't mind having a dictator because they don't think that elections matter. They think they should just decide who the president of the United States is. They hate the culture. They're angry that the culture is too friendly to LGBTQ people. I, I just, I, I see a very small degree of difference between what he believes and what they believe. I just, I well,
15: don't see and it. And I think this is the reason why you've seen for days now, Republicans kind of trip. You know? How do they draw these
3: correlations? It's such
0: yeah. bullshit.
16: So weird. How do like, they,
3: how do they answer like, how was your day at work when they go home? Like just, <laughs> like, what did you do at work today?
0: Punch themselves in the neck as hard as they can.
3: Yeah, It's like, how do you unpack with that? Awful rhetoric that she just said. Mm. I mean, listen, we've outlined it on the show several times and before we like actually get into it. We will never ever support any of the narrative or anything that people like Milo and Nick Fuentes and any of those jerk offs have ever done. First no. amendment rights, free speech, say whatever the fuck you want. Say it's gay to have heterosexual sex with women because they won't have sex with you. So for the people that are allowed to have sex with heterosexual women, they're gay. Say all the bad stuff about Jewish people. So confused right now. Listen, I'll send you the clip. It's like I listened to it like three times before I actually understood what they were trying to talk about. But it was <laughs> it was like confirming incelness. Mm. But, uh, you know, and the, all the stuff about Jewish people, the anti-Semitic stuff, there's just no room for it. It, it, it. Like regardless of whether the Constitution says you should be able to say that stuff, why would you say that stuff? What does it do? What like, is what supporting? Is, like,
12: what's, like, okay, you guys, it's like you've said it. You said what's on your mind. Why are you going out of your way to make it like to push it so much harder and make it worse. It's like you're, you're not helping yourself. You're not proving your point really. in in a lot of ways, you know, and I don't I mean, see they, how people like make observations like they have. I mean, yeah, the majority of people in control of media are Jewish. Okay. You know, but I mean, why are they going so hardcore? It's, mm-hmm. it's just make sense.
3: And even all the negative rhetoric towards African-Americans like that, I, I listen, you just go yeah. to Twitter, type in, Nick, Fuentes, and word—it's like clip after clip of him jokingly slipping and then joking about slipping and saying, "I don't yeah, understand I like how Kanye like West rolls around with this guy."
12: Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised too because I haven't followed Nick in years. Like when when I when he even came on the map and I started paying attention, I was like, "Ah, oh, he doesn't." I don't get a good you know feeling from this guy. And then started to see what he was doing and saying. I was like, "Ooh, nope." Yeah. And no then, way bad news
3: just because of how many trump adjacents got screwed over at his speaking event and how mm-hmm. bad of a and i'm not talking about like any kind of race thing like the physical black eye gave them oh yeah in regards to you know going up there and talking about appreciating hitler and nazism and, and white nationalism it's it's
12: well, what's the point it's like they're just being provocateurs like milo you know in a sense just for attention it's like they'd rather be so controversial. And,
3: and then they're always quick to yeah. deflect. Oh, well, if these people like were a little bit more nationalist and including Christianity in their platforms, they'd do a lot better. Not when the people that are asking them to do it are saying all the extracurricular shit that I just outlined. It completely yeah. delegitimizes. Listen. Yeah,
12: they're not helping us at all, like our side in any which way. It's the,
3: <laughs> If any of those guys think with the usual creative attention span that Kanye West has had historically – that you could fast forward five years from now and you think that it's still going to be those same people that showed up on InfoWars yesterday are still going to be rolling deep, you know.
12: No. It's no, not going to happen. Gonna them. Kanye's going to turn on both of them and he's going to expose them. So they're playing they're playing in dangerous territory themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? And I mean, if, they,
3: they don't care about getting canceled. Well, they,
12: if what I heard about Milo is true and Kanye were to find out that he's being played,
16: mm-hmm.
12: it's not going <laughs> to... If Kanye West cancels, my Milo, my is going to be done. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean,
3: I, I really feel like he's already done. The guy's a complete. Oh, waste you know of what space. I mean, though. Like, yeah, he's
12: gonna have Kanye, and it's going to be because Kanye's really good at exposing people, and he's got the platform, and obviously he's one of the most famous people in the world. So
3: I, I really hope that guy took some nice pictures inside of mar a because I can almost guarantee that's the last time that that asshole will see the inside of that place. Exactly. So let's get into it. The worst Avengers of the multiverse yesterday (laughs) assembled on InfoWars. I got a couple clips before we get into our special guest. Let's hear the first one. Alex Jones, Kanye West, back and forth with each other on InfoWars yesterday
2: groups, and there are certainly uh, leftist Jews that call everybody Nazis they don't agree with. If you, you don't want open borders, or you don't want your guns taken, or you don't want to take a shot. The ADL had a meeting last two weeks ago and said, Alex Jones is an agent of evil. He's been taken off the air. He's the devil because he doesn't want you to take four shots. And I'm like, what are you doing calling me anti-Semitic? I'm not against groups. I don't get into group politics. Adam,
8: I've got, I, I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, uh, Alex. Yes, sir. Um, I've got the perfect answer for the ADL. They are going to have to listen up. What we did is we brought Netanyahu with us. Ah. <laughs> I mean, is, I'm in the Twilight Zone right now. Netanyahu, what do you have to say? What do you have to say to Alex Jones right now, Nick Fuentes and Ye? It was bad. It was bad for Trump to meet with Nick <laughs> 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 and Yay. okay. I had no idea your voice is gonna sound like that, Netanyahu. So you don't like Benjamin Netanyahu? <laughs> I just, I, I just heard about this guy two weeks ago. Since so like the tweet, and I thought he had a funny name. I heard he's like really into like he's like a super killer. I could die for saying this. So in case this is the last time you ever hear from me.
2: <laughs> well, look, 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 look. I, I, I'm glad you guys are here and and we can, we can, we can sit here and upset. All I'm telling you is do you guys realize that the British government created Hitler and the Milner group put him in power and there's something much more sophisticated. And I personally uh, think that most Jews are great people. And I, and I understand there's a Jewish mafia and and they're, they're used to demonize anybody that promotes freedom, but I don't blame Jews in general for that. You think uh, here's
3: a question for our pod team right here for as much as he's been on the larger apparatus over the course of the last couple of months promoting his book and pushing back against his World Economic Forum agenda. You think uh, Uncle Steve is regretting having Alex Jones on as Oof. much as he has had him? Yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting to watch how that all kind of unfolded.
12: Wait a minute. So, wait, I didn't, because I've been kind of out of the loop. Uh, Alex Jones was on Steve Bannon's show?
3: Yeah, they had an exclusive interview with him right after the Sandy Hook civil court ruling where he now owes, I believe, $1.5 billion in court fees yeah, yeah. to the families. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Alex Jones' newest book launched, which is obviously an anti-globalist narrative, decent, wholesome narrative book. I, I, I read it. Um, I, I didn't think it was actually that bad. A lot of the stuff that he talks about in general kind of like breaks it down a little bit more, gives some historical context. I, you can only tell how much of it is – is is. Super true, but the, you know, the narrative pushing back against the globalist agenda is, is a wholesome one in my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so he's been almost like a weekly or bi weekly special guest on on War Room.
12: you know, I, I don't really watch War Room as much as I used to anymore, so I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know about that. Sorry, Steve and if you're listening, which I know you are,
3: well, at least at the very least. Great. <gasps> Yeah, there you go. Graces. And uh we'll see. I got one more clip before we jump into it. Let's hear, you know, probably the most inflammatory one that flew around social media all day yesterday uh regarding the
2: Nazi talk. Nazi, you don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well,
8: I I see I I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew, I love everyone and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can love um you know, us, and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts, and you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician, you can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good, and I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Especially Hitler.
12: I mean, I don't see, no. I don't see anything wrong with him saying that. I know it's controversial because of the figure that he's describing, but I get what he's saying in that. So, in that right from there. a First
3: Amendment context, you're correct. But in a where it is appropriate to say stuff like that,
12: probably yeah,
3: but not 1.5 million people watching.
12: No, I and I know and I understand, and especially after his DefCon, you know, on Jews tweet and the way he started this whole entire, you know, conversation. and
3: uh, That's a great point you bring up, Antoinette. Me personally, and I think the biggest elephant in the room regarding this whole situation is if Donald Trump had already appointed a legitimate chief of staff or had an inner circle that was more caring of his needs instead of the needs of themselves and their pockets and their bank accounts. Yeah. Af- remember, the dinner came like 10 days after this tweet. Mm-hmm. Should have never fucking happened. I don't yeah. care how Donald Trump tried to frame it out on True Social of like you know I'm my African American friend who is very troubled reached out and we understand his undying loyalty and his niceness and stuff like that we know he's got that good old boy mentality we've had so many people who worked in the prior administration that said those were the best times in the Oval Office when Donald Trump would get into that mode yeah but when you when you attempt to cancel yourself by saying Deathcon on all the Jews, not Defcon. Deathcon. Um,
12: uh, yeah, I, I thought I totally thought it was Defcon three.
3: Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you know that dinner at Mar-a-Lago should have never happened, and that's the fact of the matter. But listen, I
12: agree. and I, I just don't, I don't get it either.
3: I don't follow any of this trash. I don't buy into any of this trash. The the entire narrative is bullshit. You could tell the whole thing's an op because.
12: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: why t- why would Joe Biden assemble the leaders of the House and Senate in both parties for a closed door White House meeting? And the first thing they want to talk about when they come out is disavowing Nick Fuentes. Do you know how much this probably pumps up that jerk off's head that you have no. fucking Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell making statements about him not shouldn't should not be allowed at Mar-a-Lago to dine with Donald Trump when Donald Trump got completely scumbagged by that whole group of people and in, in setting that thing up? But this is. This is fucking ridiculous. I could just, nice. I mean, and we name it on every show, every single thing that's going bad in this country right now, and this is the stuff that they want to talk about. Disavowing Nick Fuentes, some 24-year-old retard who can't keep his fucking mouth shut. And everything that comes out of his mouth is absolute garbage.
12: It's either planned or, or they're, taking the, they're using this whole thing, you know, obviously as an opportunity to.
3: Well, it's like I said, I'm not an expert, and neither are you two, but we're going to yeah. get to the bottom of it with probably the only person on the planet who knows every party involved. Let's, let's uh, jump to the phones.
1: Mm.
3: Joining us next on the show today, she's a f- journalist, former congressional candidate, probably the most canceled person on the planet. She's joining us for the first time. Ms. Laura Loomer, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast.
19: Thanks for having me. I've, you know, I've heard a lot about your, uh, your podcast, and a lot of my friends have gone on your show before, so it's good to finally uh, come on as well.
3: And it's good to have you on finally. We know you've always been MAGA Jason, and uh, definitely have a a lot of stuff to help our listenership unpack some of the things that are a little bit outside of our expertise level. We call it on Steak for Breakfast Dinnergate. That's where it kind of all started uh, two weeks ago. And uh, we kind of want to go from there all the way up to kind of where we're at and and name names and kind of, you know, let our listenership understand that this is a lot bigger probably operation than, than most people can lead on to or based off of what's into the, the news cycle. So how has the whole experience been to you? Uh, you know, from, you know, not really outside looking in, you're pretty close to the breast on all this stuff with all of the people on there. You're, you're very friendly with most of them. And then, uh, you know, I saw you on the Infowars show yesterday, which we'll get into a, a bit, but heading back to that one Mar-a-Lago dinner uh, with Donald Trump and, and, and Kanye, Nick Fuentes and, you know, uh, Karen, Giorno, and and Milo uh, definitely seemed a little bit suspicious and and not really what it seemed like they were trying to get across uh, on the outside. There was definitely some ulterior motives there. So you want to kind of lead us in here?
19: Yeah, look, I mean, I don't know where you want me to start, but, uh, you know, obviously everybody is talking about Dinnergate, uh, (laughs) at the dinner, of course, that took place between uh, Donald Trump uh, Yay, formerly known as Kanye West, Nick Quintus, and then uh, Karen Jorno, who I had previously worked with. Of course, she was actually uh, my strategist when I ran for Congress. And, um, you, know, you know, what I've been really focused on here is the element in which Milo Yiannopoulos uh, plays into the factor. He yeah. recently announced that he is Yay's uh, campaign manager, and uh, he actually took credit when speaking to NBC News about... Uh, setting President Trump up and how he did this on purpose because <laughs> he thought that it was going to make his life miserable. And then Uh, Of course, uh, Nick Fuentes has uh, disputed what Milo said. And uh, Milo tried to throw Nick Fuentes under the bus by saying that, you know, Nick uh, was in on the setup of President Trump. And then Nick took to his telegram and said, no, like, that's not true. Uh, But I genuinely do believe that Milo, as an individual, uh, you know, was trying to set President Trump up. He has uh, posts on his telegram and his parlor and other accounts that he posted about two years ago, where he talks about how he hates President Trump and wants to get a vengeance on him. And as somebody who used to be friends with Milo Yiannopoulos, I know a lot about Milo Yiannopoulos. And I can tell you that there isn't a single person that's ever worked with Milo Yiannopoulos who he hasn't completely screwed over or burned to the ground eventually. Uh, He owes a lot of people money. And he's basically led a life and a career path of Uh, destruction and deceit and my concern with yay was that milo yiannopoulos was trying to uh, carry out some type of revenge or vendetta against donald trump by manipulating and using yay and i think that it's disingenuous for milo to tell yay that he has uh, you know any type of experience running campaigns because he doesn't he's a foreign national he's never run a campaign in his life and so ultimately i ended up Connecting with Yay, sharing my concerns, because as you and many uh, came to know this week, I've been exposing Milo, uh, his ties to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I also believe is working against President Donald Trump. And it's my evidence is. Uh, very convincing it's not hearsay it's not um you know gossip it's not a rumor mill uh so much so that newsweek and daily mail and other uh publications have actually uh been reporting on my telegram channel uh mainstream media reporters are now uh picking up on the receipts and the screenshots that i've been posting because i have evidence of all of my claims
3: Yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned that. You know, I was talking with one of our mutual friends when this whole stuff was kind of going down like the days afterwards. And I remember specifically one part of the conversation that I was having with them. I said, well, at least we can't connect this back to things like McLeadership and the establishment Republican, you know, uh, leadership that they've got going on in in Washington, D.C. And that's when they said, well you're not really correct there. And I know you had already mentioned Marjorie Taylor green and, and, and there, there, there are some connections to Kevin McCarthy as well. I think, uh, you know, moving forward, like how does she fit into this whole equation? And, and what do you think her role is in, 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 you know, the way things have been falling out for the last couple of weeks?
19: Well, look, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene likes to present herself and portray herself as the voice for MAGA, right? She kind of uh, fancies herself as being a a Trump ally, but it couldn't be further from the truth. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene... Uh, got elected to Congress and uh, has really built a name for herself in Congress uh, by riding the coattails of President Donald Trump and claiming to be a voice for America First candidates, right? She claims she has this PAC, SAS PAC, where uh, she said that she was going to support America First candidates. Uh, She had said she was going to support me when I ran for Congress, never really ended up doing that. And there's a lot of candidates actually that have gone on the record to say that Marjorie was supposed to endorse them and support them but never did. Right? She's kind of done a real 180 in her positions and also just uh you know her policy. She she campaigned against Kevin McCarthy, she campaigned against the establishment, and now all of a sudden, for some reason, she's become Kevin McCarthy's biggest fan and cheerleader in Congress, uh, going as far as literally lying to the base and misleading them with claims that uh, Liz Cheney, who isn't even a member of Congress anymore, is somehow going to become Speaker of the House uh, because, you know, oh, we don't vote for Kevin McCarthy. Liz Cheney's going to be Speaker. And I, I am very well aware and educated on the fact that you don't have to be a member of Congress to be Speaker of the House. But Matt Gates, who certainly knows more about this process than sure. Marjorie Taylor Greene and other members of Congress, have gone on the record to dispute her claims. And so uh, a lot of people uh, don't know that Marjorie Taylor Greene, actually uh, brought Milo Yiannopoulos on as an intern in her office. Uh, She hired him to be an intern in her official congressional office and issued him a badge. And Milo Yiannopoulos is the one who's taking credit for setting President Trump up. Well, Milo, I, I have evidence and I have reason to believe that Milo Yiannopoulos is actually living with Marjorie Taylor Greene at her home in Rome, Georgia, And it's kind of a bizarre situation, you know, Uh, very weird because Milo, I know from working with him and also other people who have been working with him in the past that uh, he's broke, okay? He uh, did not have any money. He was sleeping on people's couches and he definitely didn't have money to purchase a house. And it's not like it's DC or New York City or LA, like some big metropolitan city where it's bustling and it would be... Uh, believable right to think that somebody like milo would live in the same city as a congresswoman we're talking about a tiny little town in georgia rome georgia where marjorie's home is located milo has not proven any um Uh, shown any receipts or evidence that he actually purchased a home or is renting a home Uh, but all the evidence leads me to believe that he's actually living with marjorie taylor green especially screenshots that i have obtained from his own telegram account where he's posting from inside her home calling it chateau yiannopoulos and um she claims that After I accused her of working to undermine President Trump uh, through Milo, she took to her Telegram channel to actually attack me. And she said that I wasn't sane and that I was a liar and that I don't know anything and people shouldn't be trusting me. But it's funny because I used to be one of her biggest supporters and I have so many screenshots of her (laughs) posting about me on Twitter. Yep talking about how she needs me in Congress with her. (laughs) I have screenshots with myself between her. And so it's very intellectually dishonest for her to act like I don't know what I'm talking about when she's referred to me publicly as one of the best journalists that she's ever seen. So when I, I focus on her and exposing her corruption and her lies, all of a sudden, I'm a conspiracy theorist and I'm a liar, right? But when she's asking me for details about her colleagues and uh, information about my investigations to bring up in Congress, somehow I'm like one of the best people she's ever met and she loves me and, you know, I'm her best friend ever. Uh, So, uh, she's not being honest. I have proof that shows that, you know, Milo had been working with her uh, in late October as well. She claims that uh, he stopped working with her in August. This is all public. She went on the record with the Daily Mail, Newsweek, and on Telegram blasting me. But I have receipts, and people can go to my Telegram channel at Loomerd Official and see these receipts for themselves. And she ties directly into this whole controversy because she spoke at AFPAC, right? I attended AFPAC, which is Nick Fuentes' conference, and she disavowed Nick Fuentes two days ago only after I exposed her for working with Milo, because now she's trying to cover her ass. But she had no problem giving Milo a job after Milo is the person who orchestrated her speaking engagement at AFPAC and brought her to AFPAC in February. So why is it that she hasn't disavowed Milo, right? And I'm not in the in the game of cancel culture and disavow, but I will say that her refusal to disavow Milo, who shares all of Nick Quintus's views um, while disavowing Nick Quintus is rather odd because um, she just doesn't want to be exposed for working with him and have egg on her face when it actually comes out that Milo's living with her and Milo is still working with her and he's undermining Donald Trump.
3: No, it's it's a lot of the stuff that we've heard that you're corroborating right now. In addition to a whole bunch of new material, like the the extracurricular stuff with Milo, where he's living, his connections, still connected to MTG, and then one of the things, what do you hypothesize in regards to you now? There's being the one eighty turn by her, right? So it's like not supporting people like you and other people in Congress, kind of like gleaning for policy and then just leaving the candidates out to dry, saying she's friends with some and not the other. I mean, her and Matt Gates couldn't have been more close than they have been over the course of the you know last two years of the Trump administration, probably first year of the Biden administration, and now you see a complete 180 where it's making people in the press so uncomfortable that when they ask Matt Gates about it, he, he kind of gives like a nasty answer that, that like, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I don't know what her deal is, but that's not the way that the Freedom Caucus and, and You know, House candidate too long. What is the dynamic right now that it seems like Kevin McCarthy, there is something there. There's an elephant in the room. How does he have the knife at her back like this?
19: Well, look, I think that uh, everybody that Kevin McCarthy's able to manipulate. Um, and and I, I'm not just gonna blame all of this on Kevin McCarthy, cause I will say that Marjorie is a, her own individual and she has free will and she is making the choice to sell out to the establishment, okay? But that goes along with what I was talking about. She portrays one image to the public, but then does the other right. uh, opposite side of the coin. So for example, right? oh i'm against vaccine mandates i'm against masks but then she goes and invests in all of the vaccine manufacturers and then she's making a ton of money off stocks in congress while criticizing nancy pelosi for doing the same thing she claims to be against spending in ukraine but then she um has no problem supporting kevin mccarthy who used ftx money against america first candidates that was laundered through ukraine right i'm one of those candidates that had ftx money used against them by mccarthy uh she claims to be an advocate for j6 political prisoners yet she wants mccarthy to be speaker when he called all the j6 political prisoners domestic terrorists and condemn them right so um i think that she's compromised i think that uh her stock portfolio has compromised her i think if you were to look under the hood you would find elements of insider trading uh, i think also her her personal sex life and the fact that she can't seem to keep her legs closed and like has, you know, a ton of extramarital affairs, which are well-documented even before she was in Congress is another way that Kevin McCarthy's blackmailing her. Like she had the affair with the gym owner, right? And then um, her and her husband were estranged. And now she's being accused of allegedly having an affair with Alex Stein. And I don't know if you guys saw the screenshots that got leaked that show that apparently Alex was in some kind of Telegram chat with a friend and was talking about how Marjorie doesn't have a pretty face, but she's a freak in bed, so it makes up for it, and it's not the first time she's had an affair. Like, I'm, I'm I'm, just saying, you can go look at the screenshots yourself. Then there is the Daily Mail article that shows that Ryan Glenn, the the guy from RSBN, the director of communication there, was seen snooping around with her at her house and in her car late at night and having dinner, and then two weeks after the fact that he got exposed, his wife filed for divorce, right? Yep. And around the same time, like, her husband filed for divorce. So there's something there and when you are that sexually promiscuous obviously they're going to have blackmail on you it's exactly what prevented kevin mccarthy from being speaker of the house when he first tried to become speaker of the house in 2015 a lot of people forget this but he had an extramarital affair with a congresswoman named renee Elmers, Yep. and uh, upon this affair being exposed uh he lost his bid for speakership and that's how we got his friend paul ryan mm. who of course is supporting mccarthy for speakership Speaker now so um i think that people just need to start really holding her accountable and they need to see that her actions have directly compromised her she sold out to the swamp and now she's directly working against donald trump and the fact that a sitting congresswoman would actually attack me on Telegram, like if you think that I'm so stupid and that I don't know anything, why are you stooping to that level? You're you're a, you're a United States congresswoman. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like obviously I triggered her enough with what I said and what I exposed to the point where she had to come out and publicly attack me.
3: I mean, listen,
12: it's a lot
19: of new stuff about Yeah. In the
3: green, and I'll I'll be what this is like the third person, Laura. Two other people have told me who I really trust they're Beltway insiders. You know, one of them, you know, might have a a really inside track to the stuff that's going on there the the Alex Stein stuff, the Kevin McCarthy stuff, the Brian Glenn stuff. It's not the first time I'm hearing it, and now when you start to connect the dots and look at the way things have gone down over the last year and a half, it makes a whole lot more sense. Let's, let's jump into what happened yesterday. And the fact
19: also that her husband just filed for divorce. Like it's not the first time that she cheated on her husband. Like, you know, the, the story about how she was cheating with the, the gym manager when she was still married. And so it's clear that her husband, like they tried, tried to make things work even after she first cheated on him. But look, I'm a very well connected politically involved person. And it seems like you and I have similar allies and associates in dc and the fact of the matter is is like every week i'm getting a text message from somebody like oh marjorie was at this bar hitting on this person marjorie was drunk out of her mind at this bar you know uh being aggressively flirtatious with this man like there's 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 something there and it's well documented i have conversations with reporters and they joke and they talk about her uh voracious appetites like that's what they describe it as you know and we're kind of living in this day and age now where a sex scandal with a member of congress would have become like front page news on every newspaper 10 years ago but now like with this kind of uh promotion of of like you know, sex work and an overly sexualized society that we're living in, people yeah. tend to kind of like minimize the magnitude of this. And you're, you're talking about a member of Congress who uh, fancies herself as potentially being President Donald Trump's VP pick. And yet, you know, she's got so many scandals, can't even keep her own house together, talks about being an America first Christian nationalist and yet she's sleeping around with everybody in DC. Yeah.
12: yeah. Being yeah. a whore is not good when you're a congresswoman.
3: No, right? <laughs> it's, de- <laughs> it's definitely going to hurt some things. And, and and listen, if stuff like this probably wasn't going on, we wouldn't see some of the really bad optics that some of her closest allies have literally called her on without saying. You know, the the part that, that we're kind of filling in the blanks for right now is was is, is what's going on up in the Beltway, and it's just kind of really eye-opening. Laura, let's jump to yesterday. I mean, everybody obviously knows about what happened on InfoWars. It was kind of like an all-star cast of that whole group that was at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, um, you know, there was a couple other people there. You got roped in on the phone, I saw, for, for a good portion of it as well. How did that whole thing go down, and and what do you think? How do we move on from here, from from what's going on? Because it seems like what may have started at Mar-a-Lago has now just kind of spiraled out of control, maybe even gotten off the rails, and we really want to see everybody come back to a little bit sense of, like, I guess what you would call normalcy.
19: (laughs) Well, I don't think we're ever going back to normal. (laughs) I think (laughs) the whole world is gone. I think the whole world has gone insane. But, look, (laughs) uh, I – you know, I know Alex Jones and I'm in a unique position because I know everybody kind of involved in this situation, right? Sure. I know Milo, I know Karen, I know president Trump, I know Nick Fuentes. Okay. I know Alex Jones and I, um, now I know yay. And, um, because of my investigations and things that were going viral over these last two weeks, um, I was actually connected with yay. And uh, shared some of my information and my concerns about Milo and his involvement um, with Yay. So uh, Yay and I had been texting and whatnot, and Yay was on Alex Jones uh, with Nick Fuentes yesterday, and uh, Alex kind of like brought up the topic of you know the. What they have to say to people who say that they're just generalizing all jews and for full disclosure i am jewish right Right. and like you mentioned i am the most censored banned person in the entire country if not the entire world alex jones himself has even said that i'm more censored than he is and um, you know, I was one of the first to really experience this type of cancel culture. So I I sympathize with anybody who really has just been viciously deplatformed and digitally exterminated because it's a it's a civil rights issue. We're talking about having your bank account shut down, uh being banned uh on sites that are now known as the digital public square. And that's the life I've been living for the last five years. So even if I may not agree with everything that yay has to say about Jews and Israel and you know, Nazis and things like that. I still believe that he has a right to say it. It's the first amendment. I'm a free speech absolutist. And So when Nick was talking about how they don't dislike all Jews and how he said there were some, quote, good Jews, (laughs) he mentioned myself and Darren Beatty from Revolver. Right. And when he said Laura Loomer, Ye goes, yeah, Laura Loomer. Let's have Laura Loomer call in. And then he said, Laura, call in. And so given that I had Ye's cell phone and I was watching, I called in and he answered and then put me on speakerphone live on air. And then we were just talking about cancel culture and how... You know, like if I as a Jew can, you know, find it in myself to fight to protect their free speech, even if I don't agree with everything they're saying, like people need to understand, like this is this is what free speech is about. It's about protecting speech that you may not like speech that offends you. It's not about protecting speech that you only agree with.
3: No, it's, uh, you know, the thing, Connie, he's such a brilliant guy, his work producing the artistic way he's done things in the past. Do you think I mean you you've developed what you consider like a pretty decent relationship with him now you talk to him on a more regular basis it seems like you you can kind of get a sense of what his baseline is do you feel like he's okay there's a lot of people you know who see this stuff and they're going to make memes about it and do a lot of shit posting and stuff but at the end of the day it's like the person that we've come to know over the course of his You know, career and then, you know, the whole highly publicized life that he lives combined with Kim Kardashian's and the whole really bad situation with their kids and stuff like that in in the spot he's in right now. Do you feel like he's able to still make it in regards to just, you know, being able to live in this life? Because it seems like. He's getting it from so many different angles. He's getting canceled on social media, bank accounts, losing money, losing accounts. His family's falling apart over the course of the last couple of years. There was that whole other guy from Saturday Night Live spiel that it was just kind of absolutely ridiculous as well. And all the stuff that his ex-wife put him through. And, and now we're at a point to where, like, I think a lot of people are thinking he's reaching a breaking point And saw a little bit of it yesterday as, like, he wanted to see how far he could push it. And now, you know, he's kind of reaping a little bit of the consequences. But do you think he's okay? Do you think this is just a part of, like, maybe his evolution towards where he's going to go?
19: Look, I think that he's going through um, trauma right now. When yeah. I say that he's had a lot of trauma, he's going through a divorce. He has several young children with Kim Kardashian who lives a very public life. She immediately jumped into another relationship with, you know, a guy that was clearly trying to be a troll towards yay and rub yep. it in his face. Like Pete Davidson was <laughs> posting uh, selfies of himself in bed with Kim Kardashian and saying, Oh, Hey, I just texted this to yay. And um, you know, obviously Ye doesn't like the fact that the mother of his child is like going around like naked all over the place, like showing her body everywhere, things that he considers to be like pornographic. And I think that, you know, he not only has to deal with the conflict of parenting, uh, co-parenting, right, with somebody who they're, he's getting a divorce from um who share seems to share like a different worldview than his uh but you know he has to deal with the press constantly attacking him and i'm not a psychiatrist like i'm not going to sit here and you know try to be an armchair doctor and diagnose yay uh but the media constantly like says oh he's mentally ill well how do you know that like you're not a doctor have you ever sat down with him like you don't know you've never read his medical records so like there's there's People are so quick to judge and I can relate. And this is why I'm like sympathetic towards him is that, like I've been called crazy, people have lied and said I'm mentally ill like simply because they want to like get away with attacking me and saying nasty things about me because they take advantage of the fact that I'm banned everywhere just like they're taking advantage of the fact that Yay's banned. Like these are things that people would never say to your face, right? But they think that they can say online to attack you. Like I get called a nazi, I'm called a white supremacist, anti-muslim, crazy, like nutcase, like all, all the same types of things that they're calling him. And um, when you're losing money, the way I have as well as a result of deep banking, like, sure. um, and it feels like your whole life is falling apart and people um, are just attacking you from all angles, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. I'm sure he probably is having a hard time right now. I'm not going to say that he's, you know, mentally ill, but um, anybody going through what he's going through right now would be having a hard time. And I have gone through that. So I know, um, I guess at some extent, like I'm not married, I don't have kids, but in terms of the canceling and the debanking and having your money frozen, I know what that's like. And it's terrible. It's enough to make you feel like really down in the dumps and depressed.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like me personally, my opinion is that he's going to be able to pull out of this and find something new that, uh, you know, excites him again, whether it be like his potential presidential run or something new, you know, in in content creation. Well, that's yet to be told, but I think, uh, I mean, at least he's around – what seems to be some kind of a support structure. And at least yesterday on Alex's show, it seemed like he had a pretty good time. I don't know if Alex had the best time. <laughs> he looked uncomfortable <laughs> a couple times, but you know what? He, I, I think uh, overall it, it, he probably, I mean, Alex has been in the business for a long time. Nobody knows how to handle situations more than uh, that guy. I could tell you that Laura, this has been great sitting down with you today. We want to be able to direct our listenership to follow you and support you. And we hope at the very least, this won't be the last time you join us on the show.
19: Yeah, no, I'd love to come on again sometime. And uh uh, I am, like I said, canceled on most platforms, but I'm on Telegram at Loomerd official. And then I'm on Getter, Truth Social, Gab and Parlor at Laura Loomer as well. And people can also check out my website, Loomerd.com. Um, and if you're interested in reading more about me and cancel culture, you can also order my book, Loomerd, How I Became the Most Banned Woman in the World.
3: Well, we'll be live linking those all in the show description today. And like I said, we'll be looking forward to have you back. This is the most banned woman in the world. Joining us for the first time for a great conversation and more. Miss Laura Loomer, thanks for coming on the show.
19: Yeah, thanks for having me.
3: Spicy way to end the week. What do you think? Spicy. Yeah, I don't even know what to think. Good content. Don't hate it. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to listen to the other 191 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podout Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Attorney and former Trump 2016 campaign advisor Paul Manafort, attorney for Donald Trump's re-election campaign in 2024, Miss Christina Bob, Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Lopato, and of course Laura Luma. Can't forget her. In addition to that, some of our internet friends. Let's see, patriotic babe account, who white memes. How about Hispanics for DeSantis today? He wants to uh, do a couple collab Substacks. Hmm. I think it would be fun. Yeah friends don't forget to throw some money at our partners because when you do that the only thing that happens is you help make small american businesses great again namely my pillow mike lindell is about to come down your chimney with sleepwear <laughs> slippers and giza dream everything like you've never experienced in addition to that he's launched his own coffee brand if you enter promo code Stake at checkout at either of the my pillow websites you're gonna get big big savings mypillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related for more of a coffee person mystore.com forward slash steak or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that i've ever owned can only be found at odyssey if you're in the studio you're looking to get serious make the investment odyssey.com you can find them on facebook and instagram as well my patriot cigars can't forget all the great deals we got going on down there enter promo code take at checkout you get 15% off your total order all those orders over 100 bucks means free shipping and a $10 e gift card comes with every purchase mypatriotscigars.com a premium smoke for freedom loving patriots stay ready gear holsters If you want a picture of Kanye West wearing the uh what is it Balenciaga mask yeah they'll the put it Balenciaga on
4: Balenciaga like, bondage this. mask
3: with the ball gag and the zipper mouth. Mm. They'll put it on a conceal carry Kydex holster. They'll get the orders out faster than ever before. Stayreadyyear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. No man rubs yet this week. And I made Italian food for tonight. There's always next week, though. It's delicious. Uh, Noah has shown that to me in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. pretty weird that we're talking about man rubs, though. It is a little weird. It sounds like you're leading into some sort of
0: weird... Hidden message.
3: Manrubs.com <laughs> is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms is a pretty simple equation for all your gun related needs firearms, parts, ammo, and accessories. His newly redesigned easy to use website is West Coast Survival Arms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone 870 6992. Mediocrematic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they have in their store. You're going to like their Instagram just a little bit more. Mediocrematic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. We got the Santa Duck, Santa Operator Duck up today because it is now December. Dumpbox.us. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Upcoming shows. Let's see. How do we top today's? Oh, that's fine. We'll come back on Tuesday with Mr. Cash Patel. Boom! Max Miller, congressman from Ohio, and the official spokeswoman for MAGA Inc. Alina Habble will be here next Friday. Sarah Weaver of The Daily Caller will be here the following Tuesday on the 13th. And two Fridays from now, J.W. Gibbons and G.S. Quay will be joining us. Two really good spokespeople who work down at uh, Team Tucker there at The Daily Caller. Believe me, we're gonna get a lot more people. I was just talking to Noah about it before we did the outro here today. And uh, all of our congressional friends are gonna be coming back after the first of the year. They got orientation going on up there. A lot of them are working the, the Georgia runoff and got a lot of important stuff going on. Friends of the week, of course, we can't forget our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew headed by Beastly man 420 n the Siberian Kitten. Some of our Truth friends, Thomas Bama, 13 Gen Patriots, some call me Tim79, Jason E. Van Gundy. We like Ghost Hammer on this show, don't we, Noah? Mm-hmm. We also like Spoopy. We like Matthew, the Upside Down Man, and Will S. from Twitter. In addition to that, let's throw some of the memers in there. Let's see, Grand Old Memes, Right Wing Savages, Let's Go Brenda, Edward Russell, Real Al Gorbachev, and Midnight Mitch. Guys, things to remember between now and next week. Number one, do your own research. We did it today and brought you a stay exclusive in regards to uh, the whole Dinnergate narrative. Number two, start a podcast. Noah. Not too bad. I like it. Number three, let's start talking about American Greatness again. Let's get away from Dinnergate. I don't ever want to talk about it again. I want to talk about American greatness. We don't talk about it enough. It's time to start talking about it more. And last, but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 192 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back with 193 on Tuesday. I'm sure we'll get somebody else besides them. But at the very least, we'll be bringing you Mr. Cash Patel. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. I like it. Thanks for listening and take care.
10: I used to have a, a, a beagle named Roger, and Roger was a rascal. About every two weeks, Roger would run off. He'd always come back, but about half the time he'd come back dragging a roadkill that he would hide under my back porch. Uh, President Biden's energy policy looks like something Roger used to keep under my back porch.